0: Now you can be yourself even more on career mode where you can basically make yourself as a character and then Let's you just get stop, to- right oh, here, Lawrence. stop right here. Hello Kit. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a character from a drama <laughs> Entered the room That was actually like Only <laughs> full <you laughs> in the horses <laughs> We've got to keep this in it We've got to keep this in But his face isn't <laughs> in. Ryan,
1: that could actually be a good thing <laughs> For <laughs> fuck's <to> sake <laughs> You look terrified there When the...
0: The screen What are we doing? Back, what the fuck are we doing he just, here? What? Why is give, he here? Get, well, he's here to give con. He's here to give con already. I'm here for- fuck. I'm here for a technical inspection. Yeah, you see- What's he yeah. here for? <laughs> you'll, you'll see, see in a minute. Please Can we get on with this you'll shit? You'll see in a minute. You ready? Right,
1: what's happening? Right. The UFC game
0: I'm <coughs> sponsoring oh, Ready? Right, okay, here we go. <laughs> right. Do you want to start again? Read it. Right. Just carry on. <laughs> with the career mode what you can actually do is you can create yourself now you already created yourself as a fighter but then you can continue and you can earn your way to the UFC become a real fighter within the UFC start to promote your fight and Win build a world rivalries title. that's exactly what I'm saying I mean I want to be a world champ, Big Brian <clears throat> you called yourself the gorilla yeah on that Who, what kind of people would you be fighting if you were super heavyweight you, you, what were you yeah, you were heavyweight Ken
1: Velasquez people like that yeah, yeah people
0: in the game you can be fighting against Francis those people yeah you can make your fighter better to get to a point where can you I trade can, them up can I? yeah and you can you can banter the other guys off on social media and it says literally here in the read become the goat I didn't know goats could compete in you greatest UFC, of all time but it, yeah or oh, we'll right. be the gorilla from the initial fight to the world fighting alliance to your first UFC bout your actions both inside and outside the octagon will shape your career so I don't know what kind of fighter you'd be on Twitter. Would you tweet a lot or would you be a more mysterious I'm No, I'm,
1: a, I'm an actively sort of mouthy guy. I like to yeah, get in yeah. their heads, tweet them, I'm going to beat them to a
0: pulp. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Do you think you are the kind of guy who gets in someone else's head? And yeah, kind of, oh, yeah. definitely. Because, definitely. and then at the same time, when you get in the ring, are you mouthing off at the other guy? Oh, yeah. I'm talking shit 24-7. What I did quite like was your uh, your taunts when you did it. You're one of the ones who does the whole... yeah. Kind of at me I'm thing. a taunter. I'm yeah, a taunter, you so actually we're... are a taunter. Mm. Yeah, it's quite sinister sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, am definitely that guy. Uh, no matter what stage you're at in your UFC career, there's always someone looking to make you uh, make their name by taking you out, and that sort of correlates with your uh YouTube It'll be the experience. First time I've been as well. taken out in a long time, I tell you. Yeah. I'm always the one paying for dinner. Is there anyone that you would <laughs> is there anyone that you would worry could take you out? Like if you faced Francis Ngannou would you be worried about nah, he his... hasn't
1: got much of a gas tank. I, I I'm I'm bigger and stronger than him. I think I will take him. It's a good no point. problem. Yeah. Uh, it's the champion. Uh Stipe Miocic I knew it was Miocic he, he, he's he's a pain in the arse. Yeah. He might be the one, the last one, but then I still think I'll get the job done.
0: Yeah. I can actually he's a see- fireman,
1: you know, in real life. Him, really? Oh, he's a fireman wow. and and UFC heavyweight champ in the
0: states. Literally,
1: away. he puts fires out and then he goes and k- kicks ass. So
0: that's actually really badass. That's more badass than a podcast. Yeah. So. Is that enough? Is that is that all we need to say? Yeah, let's just cut the bit out where you go. Is that enough? You can choose eight. You can choose from eight unique unique training gyms, mm. each of which has its own fighting discipline. Yeah. Have you thought about which discipline you go into? So there's like a speciality. I want to be someone
1: who um, is dangerous everywhere, punching and on the ground. Okay. So, you know.
0: The, the interesting It says gym loyalty Can have its rewards But you truly grow As a I fighter I think i to go
1: American um, Kickboxing academy That's the Cain Velasquez one okay. I want to I want to fight like him
0: Well the, in this game You actually get Authentic uh, UFC training partners yeah. People who actually Train with the UFC really. fighters And then the interesting Side is Sometimes you might Have to change up Your gym If say one of your Aspects is weak Or you want to go In a different direction
1: or if, or if you fight Someone from the same gym Then you may, might need To get some different skills
0: I feel like they've Really thought about What a real fighter Goes through mm. and tried to bring people as close as possible to that experience, it's as real as it gets, Lawrence. That's it cool. is. That's true, actually. And if you want to get as hopefully real as hopefully that gets, check is as real as it gets, and it, believe me, I don't think people pay in checks anymore. No, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, money. if you if you do want to get as real as it gets, then go to the link in the description, which links you to the game. I also there's a link to the trailer right. somewhere down right. there. Thank you very much to UFC 3 and EA for sponsoring this. This podcast is sponsored by, uh, powered by EA, as they say,
1: powered by EA. I quite like they say power My house run. is going to be powered by air for the next month. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thanks for <A. laughs> On today's True Geordie podcast, <laughs> Kieran Dyer. Thanks for coming, mate. No problem. Good tell you. Bit of a weird one for me. Got a message off Alan Shearer last week saying, Kieran Dyer wants to be on your podcast. The 15 year old me right now was like, fucking hell, I'm doing it.
0: Yeah, and you went, Alan, stop trolling.
2: <laughs> um, Out. Well, with this book. I have To do a lot of publicity, and yeah. I was a bit apprehensive of going back up to the northeast. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I've got mixed reactions back up there. Um, and I'd seen the podcast and I see that the base that you touch, mm-hmm. so uh, I said to my publicist uh, for the book, I said, Uh, I need to, to do this podcast. <laughs> so obviously, I text uh, Al and said, Can you have a word? And here we are,
1: unbelievable, mate. That um, makes
2: sense. but I must say. I hadn't seen the rants that you made a, against me and Craig so then after I seen the sheer oh. eye, I see a few and when you start calling him a little dwarf elf and caning him I was thinking this should be interesting
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like. I it. mean I'm not as big a, the thing is back in the day this is what breaks my heart yeah. I love watching Craig Bellamy I love watching you play like we had the best team. In my, I actually prefer the Bobby team to the Keegan team. I thought it was much more fun to watch, more organised, even if it was still the Wild West. Um, so, I guess we'll start with that. Mm-hmm. The thing that hurts is when we see you on the debate. And uh, actually, I've got, I've got a I've got an actual quote from another fan because he he sent us it. I said I've got Kieran and I hey, on the podcast. Share, yeah. Any questions? Yeah. Let us know. And I thought you can know what it is. This is what a lot of Newcastle fans have said and he sort of summed it up. Yeah. After being set up for life by Newcastle United and worshipped by the fans, why did he shit all over us in the debate? Unrealistic my arse, he said. Because when you said that we thought we were a Champions League club, that really pissed a lot of Newcastle fans off, considering we've been relegated twice in the last 10 years.
2: I stick by that. I think that with your fan base and the support that you give to the team, I think that you deserve, well, maybe it's because I think that you deserve to be not a relegation team fighting it. And when I was there as a player and we were having successful, when we came fifth that season uh, and didn't make the Champions League, We were classed as failures that season, and that's the that's the that's the reality of the of the situation. So, when I was on the debate and saying that, maybe it was harsh on the fans because, like you said, you have been relegated in. But maybe it's me as well because I think Newcastle are more than just are oh, we we're happy to be in the Premier League. And like I said, I do think if you stay up this season and Benitez and stuff happen, I do think your expectations will be that, hey, we can challenge for Europe and that's the next step.
1: There's a difference between hope and expectation. I think everyone hopes for that, and especially with a manager like Benitez. But I think, I agree with what you're saying about what it was like when you were there. I remember remember myself (laughs) when we didn't (laughs) qualify for Champions League. I remember thinking,
0: fuck's sake. Like, and actually... If only I had a platform to make videos.
1: <laughs> Just generally, the fact that Bobby Robson was let go for that as a failure is insane. Looking back at it, it was, it was the dumbest thing that's ever happened in the whole of the Premier League history. Do,
0: do you think you should have made Champions League that season? Mm,
2: I had a lot of injury problems that season. I think Craig had his injury problems... Um, the complacency kicked in as well. Uh, this is easy with Champions League, so you, yeah. the story, especially with so many young, immature players, uh, you kind of take your eye off the ball. Mm-hmm. Definitely took our eye off the ball. Uh, even with when we uh, had the Champions League qualifier, uh, I think we won the first leg one nil away. Uh, I think us as players thought we just had to turn up at St James's Park. Um, we'd win that game easily I think Freddie um, and all the directors had already booked their flight to go to the (laughs) south of France for the Champions League draw you know (coughs) so again maybe we took it all for granted and thought this was just Mm going to be um, just ongoing Mm. Um, For,
1: For the record though mate like I appreciate what it was like when you were there and it was the expectations were silly and we have been spoiled at the time and i think every newcastle fan looks back at that with fond memories for that reason mm. but now in newcastle is a like a real bad place for football atmosphere like we I don't know if I was wrong the chair the team on but it's like it feels like the life of the club is just being strangled out by Mike Ashley and champions league isn't even in the minds of any fan it, yeah. it it's like We've got no hope of anything. Like just staying in the Premier League until someone buys us off. Mike Ashley is actually all we're hoping for. Like, there's that's the
2: hope, not not even the expectation. I think hope went years yeah. ago. See, maybe that's maybe that's my error and I'd be the first to put mm. my hands up because I haven't been back to Newcastle. I've been back to Newcastle twice, I think, mm-hmm. in the, all the times that I've left. So um, I'm just going on probably with the expectations I was so, as a that. player. Um, what was your experience like when you went back? I was all good, actually. Yeah, actually, because um, it was my sister, uh, my sister, my sister's birthday, so we went up there for a weekend because she'd never been up there for a while. So we went up there to see some old friends. Um, she said she wanted to go to the metro centre. I was absolutely <laughs> dreading huh? it. Just. <laughs> as we walking down but
0: why did she say that did she not why? yeah
2: I know I just because people just and plus people talk about the met, like the traffic centre and the metro centre and uh, you've
0: got to see it it's a, it's a, it's a once in a lifetime yeah, thing yeah exactly
2: so I put my baseball cap on and off, but the love I got was it was surprising and yeah. the, the 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 general quote I got is we wish we had players like you still kind of thing which was uh in a way, it was quite that pleasing, goes. rewarding. Yeah. If you know what I mean, because well, yeah. I, I did leave damage, in man. I did leave in in a uh, kind of in a sour kind of way. It was uh, I could, could, always can remember it was we played Watford in the Glen Road had just been sacked and uh, Nigel Pearson uh, was caretaker manager. We played Watford away. And I don't want to sound big-headed than that, but we were bottom of the league that season. I missed the first few months of that season. And I came back into the team, I think the first game I scored against Arsenal away. And me over Febby Martins and Scott Parker that season kept the team up. Mm-hmm. People might disagree and I'll go on a limb and say that. And. Um, it got to the stage we played red in the way towards the end of the season and we were now going on the bus to the game and uh Glenn Rhoda calls me down to the bus and he's uh he says, I want you to be captain today and obviously because of what happened with the captain's armband before, I was like I didn't really wanna do it, but he was saying, Look, you've you've been brilliant for me this season that and I think it would be uh, a great honour for you and for myself and I took the captain's armband it was Michael Owen's first game back from his cruise shirt as well if you can remember but it was red in a away and we lost the game we didn't play very well and like a dick that I am I pick up the chronicle the next day or listen to the three legends and get an absolutely put- how dare he wear the captain's armband he doesn't care about the club and la de la la um and it hurt um because I started to mature. And we, we'll probably talk on a bit where people say, I give out this attitude of, I don't care. And um, like I said, it was the last game of the season then, and we played uh, Watford, and we were doing the warm up by the away fans. And you know, the away fans always takes over the ground. And um, they the fans sung individual songs for every player, except for me and Stephen Carr, and listen, I've had my few scrapes in the past and done my things. And listen, I'm not saying I should be worshiped or whatever, but like I said, for what I did that season to try and keep us up in the Premier League, I thought our love affair's over now. Maybe they're sick and tired of me. I'm sick and tired of them now. Um, so I had in my mind that this is my last season. So. um finished the last game of the season I met up with England obviously Sam Allardyce had been named uh, England manager I'm not England manager Newcastle manager mm-hmm. and he comes to the Lowry, we're standing in the Lowry with the England team he comes to speak to me me and Michael Owen and he sounded good his points come across he was obviously he was so advanced with all the technology and the sports science so I thought I'd give him a go so my whole yeah I'll come back uh, to Newcastle and then when pre-season come we play the Carlisles the Hartlepools of the world and we're playing Carlisle and I can remember coming off the bus and some fan says die you fucking dick or something like that you prick fuck off home or something and then after the game Sam disappears and me and Nigel Pearson are left in the thing and I just kind of like kind of broke down and just said you know what enough's enough For when I go home and then the rest is history. That's mad that, that one mm. fan yeah, that was just can makes such a, yeah.
1: can swear you that much. Yeah, But obviously you kind of made your mind up, but he mm. sort of put the nail in nail the coffin. Nail the coffin,
2: yeah. I was like, whatever I do, how successful I am from now. Because there were so many times I won and back over, but it then came to the stage, whenever you had a bad game or you- It goes against you. I'm the first one they all grown at. And listen, again, I'm not saying, it's unjust just because because of all the cock-ups I've had they had every right to feel that way but I felt I was always playing a losing battle that I had to perform unbelievable every game because if you drop off at one bit then I'm the full guy when I read a bit of your
1: book and I, I must admit right mm. my impression was like most Newcastle fans impression of you you've been given all the fucking talent in the world you didn't make the most of it and you're a bit of a knob <laughs> And that was what That's I thought, enough, you, you know, know? know. in the, in your prime especially, yep, course, yeah. and the amount of stories about you in Newcastle, you are like the king of bling, like everything that no, Rahe- just Newcastle,
0: by the yeah. way. If if, you are, if I said to any journalist, <laughs> I've got Kieran Dyer coming on, everyone went some stories about him. You know. <laughs> yeah,
1: like I guess um, for today's generation who are watching, like whatever people think Raheem Sterling gets a hard ride now, you, yours was times ten, 100%. Um, but you did bring a lot of it on yourself. I understand that you're a bit of a victim because in your mind, at some point along the way, you were like, I've changed now, I've grown up. But because you changed in your own mind, doesn't mean everyone else's perception of you had changed as well. And and, yeah. and you turned the corner and you're like, actually, I'm gonna book, book my ideas up now. People are like, oh, you're still the same bloke. Just because you've changed doesn't mean everything you did, you didn't already, you didn't also do.
0: Do you feel a bit trapped by that though? Is that must feel quite frustrating?
2: Yeah, I do. I think just going on The Jungle, I'm a celebrity. When I came at The Jungle, the amount of p- positive mm. press I had where, I think I am touching on the book, where one of the first texts I got was from Jonathan Woodgate and he was like, all my mates thought you were an absolute dick and right. I can't believe what a decent guy you actually are. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it, I brought most of that on myself because The King of Bling, which I don't regret, it's funny now that I was the king of bling with the earrings. You heard the story of me leaving earrings in the thing. <laughs> I don't own a watch now. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I I just think, what were well, you just sold all my jewelry and that? Is that a
0: conscious effort then? Do you think you- No, you, I just,
2: I just become mature. What? I don't need, I don't need a oh,
0: 50,000
2: pound watch. There, no. Yeah, just like, but at the time, when I touched and I came from poverty and a lot of footballers come from poverty and you, you get the money and you get the fame and, listen, I could drop down dead tomorrow. So I wanted to have a good time. And so I don't regret of being the the king of bling or or spending my money and thing and buying my friends watches, buying my family watches, Mm -hmm. because these people are never going to be in a position or we ever thought, you know, like to enjoy ourselves. So um, I don't regret that. But again, I was just an immature kid
1: there's one thing that come across me when I'm reading your book and that and and actually some of the interviews I've watched Mm -hmm. with you everyone thought you were this full of yourself uber confident guy especially with all the stories in Newcastle but actually you are quite an insecure person like
2: of course well I think um, I think obviously what happened to me was as a kid Mm -hmm. um, I had to have a sense of bravado so when I when Joey Barton got um, Peter Kay in at QPR and mm. I sat down, I broke down and he... Can you explain that? Because uh, we're,
1: we're sort of jumping yeah, all over sure. right now, yeah. but I guess that'll sort of give a lot of context to mm. how your life sort of began under difficult circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're with this psychiatrist in uh, QPR. Yeah. And that's Joey Barton's recommendation.
2: So the funny thing about this, the, the <laughs> he, I, everyone loves Joey in his way. So basically, Peter Kay came in and it wasn't to see individuals it was because Joey was having a rant at the coaching staff and (laughs) Neil Warnick so Peter Kay was brought in as a
1: Peter
2: Kay was brought in as like a passiver uh, like to someone someone in between so basically us as players would go in and tell him what we thought about the manager and the coaching staff and then the manager and the coaching staff would speak to Peter Kay and then he'd kind of Try and sort it because Joey, I ah, the training ground shit, training shit. <laughs> this is shit. I don't know. Which listen, Joey's a very honest person. If he he demands, that's just the way he is in life. So um, so yeah. So Peter Key, Peter K wasn't there for individuals, and it just got to the stage that just hearing him in these meetings, I I liked what he had to say. So um, around this same time as well, my mum and my ex, were the mother of um. Uh, three of my boys she they thought I was depressed but they thought I was depressed through my injuries so um, it got to the stage that Peter was around the, the club for a while and so he said um, people could see him individually so I went to him to talk about depression I'm saying look people are worried about me because in- my whole prime has been taken and so he was getting- we were just talking in <coughs> general like this and um he was basically saying he doesn't think I'm depressed from injuries and there's more to it. And you know, he's probing, probing. And then, yeah, it just came flooding out and I told him about the child abuse. And, and then when he started making me realize and he's just like, wow, how it is. I always thought I was stubborn and, um, it wasn't so much. I was stubborn. It was just like, so I'd fall out with you, like you'd bring me a diet coke, and I wanted a coke, and you like, and I'd like, I'd fall out with people over that, like you're disrespecting me. So he was saying, because I was disrespected when I was a ten year old, I vowed, I don't know that in my psyche that I will never be disrespected again. Right. I will never show vulnerability again. Um, and then when you go through what has happened in your career with managers, teammates, players. Um, yeah, I just put this whole barrier around me, this whole bravado um yeah, and it for my life, but again, I think I touched when I did the interview in the thing. I don't want people to think that I'm using
0: child, child abuse an excuse, as an right. excuse
2: for some of the deci- like some of the decisions, like me falling out with manager or I if I felt disrespected manager, I'll fucking, I'm not having it because I couldn't show vulnerability and stuff. So some of that is true, but like you said, for things like Aya Napa and um, being sent home from um, Marbella, the Lee you fight, that's got nothing to do with you. So this, I'm not using that as an excuse, but it was scary to realise how much of my life it did affect and the bravado and the, the this like, superhero seaman I'm not yeah kind of thing so um I've come on such come on such since I've had the help because like even crying when I cried in the jungle and that that would never have happened if I wouldn't have had that advice no way would I show that vulnerability so
0: yeah. I've
1: cried in public before, so yeah. I, I can identify with that. Yeah, of yeah, course.
0: Was that um, so? You would never mentally drawn a line? Had you sort of buried that experience, or what? What? What was? Because a lot of people go, "Well, it must be this." Had you yeah. ever drawn that line?
2: So basically, when it happened, I I kept it a secret for twenty years. Right. I may have told one friend here and there, but I never went into details of what happened to me. Um, I did in the book, and um, I thought. I just thought I'd overcome it, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I just thought I'd overcome it all on my own. I don't think about it no more. Uh, it's locked away. But I didn't realise that it affected me in other things, like, for my, for instance, my oldest boy, Kai, he's 17 now. But when he was 11, 12, and I've never hit my kids, never never will. I'm, I'm not that kind of parent to disassemble but he's a sensitive kid. He's a bit like me. I am sensitive, even though I bought on this bravado. So um, it's crazy. So every time he's so weak, if he'd fall over and he just got a little graze and he's crying, I would snap, like, don't cry, man up, and da 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 da. And like, you could see like family members and like thinking, bloody hell, he's hard on him. And it got to the stage when my ex was saying to me, like, you're proper hard on him and I was like, no, I'm not. He just needs to, t-. and I didn't, I just thought that was normal behaviour and again, it was Peter Kay saying, oh, 11 or 12, you and you see, bro- and you just don't want him to be taken advantage of him unless You're so, trying to harden him up. Yeah, and so, like, so the amount of relationships and um, friendships and stuff it affected, it was proper um, and I didn't, see this i just thought that was just who i am my thing but thank god for peter gay do
0: you think that was part of the generation you were part of that you guys were less it was sort of you were on the cusp of like you say you only just met big sam and he was bringing technology into the game social media wasn't even a thing when you were wasn't yeah. a thing so bobby was a bit of an exception of a manager at that point w- he was emotionally intelligent i think i think
2: pr- i think also um the old school, everyone's talking about the old school regime and um, how we need to bring it back and the kids need to be doing all these jobs and they need to be around the first team because academies are separated from first team and I hear all these debates but I think it has a a, a bit of a damaging effect and I'll, I'll tell you, there's a story in the book but I think, so when I was a youth team and a player at Ipswich and um, I was doing really well and I'd have to train with the first team I dreaded it and because um, they were it was a hard school. They, they'd kick the lump out of you and the way they talk to you you fucking cunt and da 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 and there was one I, I can't or I, I were not allowed to name him because of legal reasons in the book but there was a senior player at Ipswich at the time and he was one of the main players and I I was only 16 17 and I came in training and I ripped him up in training absolutely destroyed. I bet how fast you were it, so uh, it would have been about 96 cool
0: look at the team <laughs> yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah you can do yeah, yeah. And uh, just work it
0: out for yourself r- no. senior r- yeah
2: and I ripped him up and uh, all the other senior players were laughing at him so after training I've gone in to help the youth team lads because if we finished our jobs earlier we could go home otherwise we could be at the ground until four or five o'clock so I'm helping the change room helping clean up the change room this player's come in and he's just wearing a slip he's completely naked he's wearing a slip. he comes in the middle of the thing and he's like and he starts straining and you think what the hell is he straining for all of a sudden piss is dribbling down his legs as he's pissing in his slip and he's taking a shit in his slip he takes off the slip and throws it by my feet it splatters on the floor he says clean that up you shit you little shit. So I think, bloody hell, and well, this is all because I did my job, really. Yeah. Like, so, um, so after this incident, and I mentioned the book, we go to Malaysia for the Under-20 World Cup, and, um, we were well-behaved on that trip, and then we lose to Argentina in the quarterfinals, and Argentina had Raquel Me. everyone knows about Raquel Me mm. for Argentina, Amar and Cambiasso playing in their team. And we were, um, after the game we lost, we went to the hotel bar, let loose, and I mean let loose and it, it got to the stage uh, about midnight, one o'clock, all pissed. And someone thought it would be a good idea if we all got a plastic bag and took it in turns to shit in this bag.
0: Who who you can't say? <laughs> who yeah, you thought I can't it was good no, no, no I and someone
2: someone. I, no
0: matter how drunk, <laughs> no matter how drunk I know, I've ever been, I've I never know. thought. Get, that, but, get the
2: bag. But this is just the mindset and the mentality of this. Was young, what football was like back then. This is in the under twenty England, represent your country. The golden generation. So no, so the golden generation is when we're in the full England thing. But this is under twenty. So basically, this bag gets passed round by round, and people are dumping in it. I didn't dump in the bag, but it wasn't because. You were holding it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't because I wouldn't right. have, it's because I didn't need a dump at the time.
0: Right. It's one yeah,
2: morning. So I'm not taking any brownie pints for it. So, right. um, don't call them brownie pints.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: so, yeah, so basically this bag's passed around, and then one of the players goes and hangs it on the manager our manager's door.
0: Who was the manager at the
2: time? Ted Powell. Right. He was uh, an FA coach who was our manager. And this bag was hung on his door we don't know what happened to the bag i don't know if someone an hour later thought it was a bad idea removed the bag or hotel founder or the manager because there was never an inquest and i and i say in the book like that sums up everything that's wrong with english we thought it was funny and banter um but that is everything what was wrong the disrespect was that was that 96 or something you said uh so my first season in, in the Ipswich team was 96, 96 97, 97, So it's the 96,
0: 97 mm-hmm. season.
2: Classic season. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was. that was
1: so, even uh, the national team though. Year 1, 96, they're, they're going and doing that stuff. So you, know? you think,
2: see, so I say in the, I say in the book, could you imagine Raquel me or Amar doing something like that? <laughs> no. And then no, I'm no, saying, does think. that go from what we were kind of, that was, and player shitting in front of me, throwing the coach as banter. And in that environment, is that in our mindset that this is the invite, this is the way we're going when you got, so it was like a vicious circle. And yeah, uh, you, when you, when I read, when, when I've showed people the story and you read it and I go into details, you're thinking, no wonder England have struggled the way they have. of
1: <laughs> shit. No, like,
2: the, yeah, that's, that's what it the, the chapter chapter's called the bag. Yeah
1: yeah sort of I, when I started adjustment. reading that I wasn't expecting that was going to yeah, yeah, be course, what yeah. it was about yeah yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> do you
0: know what I mean um, it's because it, it's uh, um, that's not normal you know what I mean <laughs> no it's like, not but we thought it was funny
2: we didn't think we would we didn't think it was disrespectful we just thought oh this is great banter we can all have a laugh at it but yeah a shit in a bag but to put it on uh, the manager of your country's door and
0: did you this. not respect him then? Was that we
2: did? I, the guy was a great. It was no disrespect meant to the manager. Even even though it's the biggest disrespect ever, yeah. we're not thinking that. We're just thinking how funny. But,
1: so, so going back to Ipswich, n- you're you're progressing through the ranks. Did you have any other encounters with this guy who uh, pissed you off or pissed on the floor?
2: No, he was, he was fine with me other than that because every time in training after that, i just let him tackle me and right. <laughs> let him get his confidence out. And do you when you think I was, he was
0: quite fragile? Did you think, like, looking back at that, do you see a, an older guy who's got quite a fragile... He's
2: literally shitting himself. He's at, literally at
0: shitting himself. Him at <laughs> I'd say that's the definition of no, fragile. No, not at all. It was just...
2: I just think that was the way it is. You, 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 How's that? How you have do you the younger. you that? That's You're, mental. That was, just was the way it is. You have to batter the younger. Like, I used to have a, like a... a, like a bum fluff of a tash and they used to just like fucking take the piss out of me saying if you like it was just brutal back there it was just, just how did you s- take that I hate like I said I'm a young lad and you, you want to play in the first team you want to train in the first team and I was like I don't want to train with the first team I'd rather stay with my youth team and be happy and, <laughs> but it be, you just have to toughen up and in a way it does toughen you yeah. up it, it does get you it does get you Ready for the first team because when we're talking about keeping the, the academy boys away from the first team, what happens? They're so fragile now. I'm coaching them. I can't even give them a hair dryer. A hair dryer because they'd cry. Their parents would come in. There would be bullying claims, and so they have to be ready for to go into the first team environment where they're going to make mistakes and teammates are going to dig them out because I don't think they're ready because they are so fragile at the moment. So, but it's just getting the balance because the way we had it um, and the way their antics were then it, it has a, a serious you know of how you're a coach
1: now mm. when someone <laughs> makes a big fuck up in training how do you deal with that after the you
0: way you the wo- story. he goes in the
2: middle of the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <He just laughs> goes clean that up your yeah. <laughs> again I, I always say this and I do want to go into that side of it especially with Ipswich hopefully and yes tactics are important and yes players are important and stuff but the biggest thing i find is man management because i i talk on, on the bobby robson his biggest strength was his man manager he didn't treat the same players the same like rykeen came to ipswich, the story stories rykeen was manager at ipswich and it was just one way and he treated every player a certain way and mm. all players are different all players are things so yeah. Even with my 16s, I try to find out who can take a bit of a dig, who I need to put an arm round. So again, diff- it depends who makes the mistakes. If I know someone who can take mm-hmm. it and dig out, I'll dig him out in a subtle way, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, Because that's very important.
1: So you, you smashed it at Ipswich, Newcastle come calling. What was it like getting that move uh, to Newcastle?
2: I was shocked because, uh, again, Leeds and Arsenal it was the two big I thought they was in the paper all the time Arsenal Leeds the bid was going to be imminent I just got back from my well while I was on holiday in Ayala I had a vice bowl message from Rude Hullet Harry Redknapp as well um, which was I was buzzing showing shouting repeating it from my friends on speakerphone listening to this Scott Rude Hullet so um, so when I went into George Burley's office and he said Newcastle I was a bit oh not not deflated or anything It was just oh like where's that come from because I, yeah. I thought he was going to say you're going to leeds or um leeds or um awesome. arsenal so um basically i didn't have no time to think george burley basically said we've accepted a bid from newcastle your agent's now going to meet you at stansted in two hours and you're going to newcastle so I literally got my mate to drive me to Stansted on a plane straight to meet Freddie Fletcher on the tarmac took me straight in to have a medical signed the forms and then was on a plane to Holland to meet the first team squad so I didn't even have time to process or anything but when I did and you think about it the two massive seller points were um Rude um because of what he did, achieved in the game and the sexy football man and obviously Alan Shearer um what was but it like uh, when you first met those two characters? Um, yeah. In uh, awe kind of thing. Uh-huh. In awe. Um, just the presence. This just They don't have to say nothing. It's just the respect they commanded. Um, and ironically,
1: those two would end up in a battle of wills. I
2: was going to just come on to that, but yeah. literally I... I uh, I go to pre-meet up in Holland on the Friday and on the Saturday, I knew that <laughs> something worked quite right, just the way Ruud Hullock would talk about him in meetings because um, he pulled a meet one meeting straight from Holland. We went to Scotland and we had a meeting. It was me, Duncan Ferguson, Gary Speed <coughs> and that's when he bought Gomar and um, Dumas and Marcelino and we're all in this meeting sheer as not, and he- the way he was talking was that Shearer wasn't going to be in the starting team and so I'm thinking what the hell's going on here kind of thing so um yeah, Um I didn't really get time to process the move and um I had no regrets about it because yeah I, I, that was the best period of my life with regards mm-hmm. to football, 100% but yeah, that whole dynamic of Shearer and Hulot was just and people say it was a ego battle and a battle of wills, and maybe it was with Rude, but I don't think it was with Al at all. And um, even with that, even with the Derby game, and uh, it's a good story about that as well. Is that he didn't even pull our side to tell to tell him uh, he wasn't playing. He basically John Carver gave out bibs on the game, so uh, I think the Starby game was on the Wednesday or Tuesday. It was a midweek game, if I can remember. And um, so the day before in training, he's given out bibs to the reserves of the day. So you see him giving out bibs. Duncan's getting a bib because he's regained his fitness. And, he's, and he gave Alan a bib. And you're thinking, wow. And like, knowing me and like, well, I'm sure we'll get to it the right wing with Bobby. If I was England captain and the best player the Premier League's ever seen and I was given a bib, I would have probably thrown the bib in Ruud Hullet's face and walked off and got in my car. He puts on his bib. He's so professional, I swear. This is Alan Shearer. He puts on the bib. You could tell he's kind of... It's kind of... I don't know, is the word embarrassing? There must be a word is. What's the word? I think a it's bit sort of of a, disrespect. Yeah, exactly. I think he's been disrespected. But he puts on the bib, and um, so we have the first the first team that was playing against Sunderland, and then with, against the reserves. And I so was in the reserves. Reserves here. with Duncan Ferguson, and we're, this is the day before, and he's been disrespected, and we lose to the reserves, something like about six <laughs> 0 and Duncan scores four, and our scores two, and you're thinking, oh my god, <laughs> and but, it's like. Still yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but honestly they smashed us and you're just thinking Still
0: better
2: than and you think we're going into a derby and it's a must win yeah but the whole the whole way out handed that situation was just listen because no me is that would have been completely different and um and again to counter that as well because everyone talks about rude it's pretty obvious at the time that Shearer didn't play, I mean, Shearer didn't like Rude the way he was doing the Rob Lee situation and stuff. So if you're a manager and your job's on the line, because it was a must-win game, do you put a player in that doesn't like you? Mm-hmm. Is he going to fight too for now for you? So I can see where Rude was coming from, but then to counter that again, is that it's a derby, Alza Geordie. Yes every time he goes on the pitch, regardless of who's manager, he's going to give 110%. So, um, yeah. Um, if Duncan and Shearer would would have started the game against Sunderland, we would have won that game, regardless of the weather and the conditions. So he let go. his eagle get in the way, really, didn't 100%. he? 100%. So, um, when I when I talk about man management, Rude Hullock was one of the best coaches I ever worked. When he put on a session and his instructions and the way he did it, fantastic. He was like, he was up there with one or two of the best coaches I've ever had, but he couldn't get the management right. Again, don't know if it was a great player. There was times with Nikos Dabizas, so he'd want Nikos Dabizas to ping the ball out to a wing winger, right about that high drilled in and then out to the other side and Dabizas couldn't physically do it. So Rudolf would like, get out of the way. I want you to do this with both feet like he couldn't get his head round that players couldn't do what he was asked and you think well it's because you were a world player of the year so the the management side of it rude just he he didn't have down to a T tee and obviously it cost him in the end
1: and then Bobby Robson was brought in yeah and uh, I must admit um having this impression of who you are um when I seen you get the news, I watched it on YouTube at the time it was uploaded, uh, when you were playing for West Ham. I always had this impression of like you were the one who shafted Bobby. And, and really, that's how it's painted in Newcastle, especially. Like, he was let down, but like, Kira Dyer was the re- real person let him down more than anyone. Like, that's what people think. Obviously, reading your book, I'm kind of getting the full picture now. Of course, yeah. Um, but when I seen you in tears uh, when Bobby passed away, I thought fucking hell, like I didn't, uh, I didn't expect that from him, yeah. and that's when I thought, oh, there's a lot more to this. Uh, was yeah. it an instant connection between you and Sir Bobby?
2: There was, um, obviously Ipswich, because he was Ipswich. The connection, um, and I remember when I was an Ipswich Town player, we played uh, Italy in the under 21s, and Bobby Robson had had his first season at Barcelona, and he was. Um, he was then, Van Gogh comes in, he's given the upstairs role as <laughs> some director of football scale. So he's come to the game because Buffon and Totty were playing, and uh, it was probably one of the best games I've ever played. Uh, we win one nil. I score the winner, uh, and I upstaged Totty and Buffon. To be fair, Totti was a hell of a player. Uh, yeah. Especially then, he was yeah. uh, basically our whole team team talks that week was just set up to stop him, him, basically.
0: When you see him on the pitch, what did you see? Because he's, he's, quite, an a, he's quite an athlete. <laughs> he's Bassas. quite athletic, isn't he? Yeah, so talk,
2: there's a guy to look to at. In talking of um, a totty story, my mate Kenny. So we're in um, South for France. I take my mate to South for France with me and we're in South for France and uh, we're in this beach bar. Great bar, great, great day. So it was happening during the day and we come out in the afternoon. And Totty was there, and he was in Speedos, obviously, all waxed <laughs> off and that. So my mate's pissed and that, and Totty's, like, waiting by this taxi rank with a few friends, and my mate wants a taxi and thinks Totty's the one who gets the taxi. <laughs> so he's like, Oi, mate, get, a, get me a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, like, looking at Totty, because, obviously footballers know you kind of nod to show the respect and I'm just like what the fuck <laughs> are you doing you prick you're like this is the greatest Italian player and you're getting him to flag down the taxi my mate was oblivious so we finally get in the taxi but <laughs> the shit I
1: turned up he's like
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like we finally get in the taxi I'm like sorry for that and we get in the taxi and my mate's like Bing, and he went what's that toy?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like yeah you fucking dick you've just been telling to get you a taxi so yeah credit tot- to him, he did flag down a taxi in the end yeah. Well, yeah, so yeah the tot- Yeah, you upstaged Totty that must feel good looking back and it? Buffon though I scored That's against Buffon even bigger yeah Yeah. so um, in the tunnel after the game Bobby's there and uh, so obviously I'm, I'd seen him at Ipswich but I never had a conversation he comes up to me and he's asking about Ipswich and he always used to talk about it he lives on Constitution Hill used to have a house in Constitution Hill uh, which I I live there now which is <laughs> quite ironic as well so um, kindred spirits so yeah and he was saying look um, the way you're going I'll get you to Barcelona one day so for a, a 17, 18 year old kid to hear that was fantastic and then obviously becomes Newcastle manager and we we do have it was like a father son relationship and people from the outside if you looked at it the way we had disagreements in front of other players and that people could see that it was a disrespect and that but that was just the relationship we we had like he could I, I could shout at him like leave me alone and da 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 and people were like what the hell but it was never personal it was just the kind of father son kind of relationship we had and um, I love that um, story I read in the book
1: about uh, I think it was the Bassidas one also, yeah, yeah. I
2: think you, that's, that's,
1: that's you challenged the, some tactics yeah. of the coach or something Can you there was a couple of, of
2: great stories so so when I'm talking about Bobby as the best mm. and um, I was talking about man management and when I say I don't use a lot of the things when I was younger as excuses so basically we played uh, Bradford in one of Bob's, Bobby's first season we are winning 1-0 at half time but it was a crap performance the crowd were getting on us and Christian was he struggled when he was a Newcastle player. And um, the fans were getting on his back in particular. So we come in at half time. And um, Mick Wadsworth was the gaffer's um, assistant at the time. And he's fucking absolutely hammering Christian Persilis, fucking slaughtering him. And Al was crap that game. And Speedo was crap that game. All the senior players were just as bad. Mm-hmm. And he's launching into procedures. So that's where the vulnerability picking on the young kind of thing. So I'm like looking around waiting for someone to say something and something and I'm like basically I, so I say to Christian uh, to Mick, You're a prick. Like leave the kid alone. He's he's struggling, having a hard time, you only pick on him, you don't say anything to fucking hour and that, you fucking shit house, like proper <laughs> going into it, like I've lost it now. And he's like, how dare you show me some respect? And I say, like, show you respect. You show him some respect. Like, you always pick on the young lads. You always pick on Loire Loire. You always pick on Shola. Grow some fucking balls and fucking pick on some of the senior players. So anyway, it's going back and forth he's going, man. Then Bobby's gone, shut your mouth to me. How dare you this? like, Bobby went. So now, it's hard for us to imagine Bobby going no, on like that because he's he always went, the yeah, professional. Yeah. In no, the he camera. went. He went. Yeah. How dare you talk to my staff like that? Show some respect. Da, da, da. So now I've started crying, where more out of anger and frustration because he's picking on young. So I'm like a little spoilt little brat now. I'm not playing no more. I want to go home, but I want to go and <laughs> see my mummy and all that. So I've literally took off my top, my boots, my shorts. Said I'm not playing. And I've gone to go and get a shower. So Gary Speed. Because Al was our captain, but Gary Speed was our real captain. And the way I mean that is that for us younger players, Al was more more of a captain because of what he does on the football pitch, the the leader. But off the pitch, he it's not like he was a captain checking it, but Gary Speed would, so you had clicks, you had the Brat Pack, you had the older lads, you had the foreigners. Was Gary more
1: approachable than Alan? Yes. Because when we interviewed Alan, uh, one of the fans of the show who happens to be a celebrity, Robbie Williams, yeah, messaged me yeah. and said he'd make a very good gangster. <laughs> yeah, um, of course, yeah, yeah. Alan does come story, across yeah. the he is a bit, I mean, That's I don't libelous, get intimidated yeah. don't by don't really many people, but yeah. I can sort of understand how someone would get intimidated by Alan, especially if you're playing in a team and you're looking up to him. Whereas,
2: was Gary more of a people yeah, person? Yeah, of course he would. He, Gary, you could fit Gary in any one of them clicks, yeah. and he'd be the life and soul of the right. group. So he could come with the brat pack wow. for a night out, perfect. He could go with the senior players. He could go with the foreigners. He can go. So. So it didn't surprise me when this argument's kicked off and I've gone to shout, Speedo's coming in and said, look, get your boots on, Da 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 da. And I was like, no, no, I'm still sniffling away. And then the gaffer comes in and says to Gary, get out. So I'm thinking, here we go. But because of that, defense, that stomach, I'm thinking I am not backing down if he start. And he goes, softly spoke and he went, love what you did, son. I'm <laughs> thinking, so straight away, my anger starts to ebb and he went, you are totally right. I absolutely love that you protect the young players. That shows a real leader in you and that, but I can't be seen to be disrespecting Mick Wadsworth because he's my staff. So I've got to show that he's got power over you, mm. but I totally understand. So now I'm feeling a million dollars Our Bobby understands. And then he was like, you've been the best player in this, even though I hadn't, well, I wasn't. He was like, you were brilliant first half. You were the best player. We need you, you're gonna win this, the game. Come on, get your boots back on. Obviously, put my shirt boots back on. I end up scoring the winner, and I was just going to show like when you talk about man manager, Mick Wadsworth feels a million dollars because the managers backed his. Yep. And yep, I feel a million dollars that bloody hell, the Gaffer knew what I was doing, and the Gaffer stopped the one man revolt mm. just like that. And there was a, there's there's so That's many cases like it. it's absolutely genius and. Uh, Like I said, when people talk tactics and that, just being able to get players to get 100, play to 200% of them above and beyond. And that's what he did, because if you look at our team and I say the best way to look at Bobby as a manager, and it's no disrespect to the players I'm going to mention, before we signed Jonathan Woodgate, we were in the Champions League or always up there. We had a back four of Aaron Hughes or Griffin who could play right back. Our oh, well, defence was shit. I'll say it for you, mate. It was fucking shit. <laughs> oh, I mean, we, it, it, it's We it's had, a, it's we a had OB, tradition. Titus, and David as the centre. And we were Bernard, and we were coming third and fourth. Go go and Olivier. Unbelievable. A good yeah, um, yeah, of course right but I'm just saying, <laughs> when you think of a back four like that, you're thinking how. No, that's relegation back four.
1: If, if we'd had a good defence, oh, we would have won the fucking league.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you'd have had ourselves the back then, you would
1: have been... Um, so you mentioned him before, actually, now that we're on the subject of Gary Speed. Hmm. It was really nice to hear you speak about him like that, because obviously you just see the, the man on the pitch, you don't realise what how much goes on in the season and how much he did for people. Um, what was it like for you when you got the news he passed away in such a tragic circumstance?
2: Well, when we talk about Gary Speed as a player first... The season he goes, and then we get, I think it was the season we get Nicky Butt, James Milner, uh Cliver. Things started to go downwards, in a downward spiral when he went, and then obviously Craig goes later on in that season. That just goes to show what he did for that change room and everything, and as a player and as as a leader. I think that was the beginning of the demise. Sort of like the glue of that Yeah, one. so when he went, it was like the beginning of the demise. So when I... um. I obviously found the news and um, it didn't really hit me, but I was so worried because I'm closest to Craig Bellamy and Craig Bellamy, it was like Craig Bellamy's second dad. Like I said, I've got the relationship with Bobby. Mm. That was how Craig was with- Two him. Welsh boys as well. And Craig looked up to him, absolutely so. um. I was dreading the phone call. I obviously thought that Craig might have known. And when Craig always has, I think Craig was playing on Sky that day. And um, I never ring Craig, because Craig is so, for all everyone says about him, he's one of the most professional people you'll ever think. So he very rarely takes calls. So I rang him um, about three or four times, he didn't pick up, then he rings me. And I think he was on the bus or on the way to the game. And I said, have you heard the news about Speedo? And he was like, What? And I said, he's committed suicide. And like, Craig goes straight into no No, you know how rumors are, Kieran. Look how many, da, 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 da. And he goes into denial and he was like, look, I'm gonna ring because they've had the same PR woman, Susie. And he's like, I need to ring her, I need to ring her. So yeah, um, that was a tough phone call and it was tough to think, but I'm not gonna lie, and people might sort me for this, but it got to the stage that it was so a week or so after his death, I think or maybe a couple of weeks after I think it was only a week after his death, so I was obviously hurt and um Craig was playing for man City and they had Liverpool in the um league cup semi final and so I went to Anfield to see Craig and he got um, Gary Speed's two sons. He invited Gary's dad and Gary's two Speeds into the um, box. And um, to see their strength and break, these two boys were honestly, you would never, the strength, well, one was really quiet, but there was a, I think his son was called Ed, and he was just like, how strong and how he was. It made me angry at Gary Speed. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's tough, like, because I'm not in his head, but I was thinking, how could you leave these two boys? And I was pissed off of him. Mm -hmm. So I'd gone from extremely hurt to so angry with him. And it was just because I see his two boys. And yeah, that was tough but yeah. Um, you were yeah. thinking of it from a logical yeah. weren't Yeah. And I think so. Uh, because what's happened to me, people have taken their lives and I get oh. that, but when there's kids involved, you know, I think, how do you do that? And yeah. so that's what made me, and seeing their bravery and strength, I yeah. just, so I had for about three weeks, like what the fuck are you doing? Like, how could you do mm-hmm. that? But obviously, um, as time goes, and listen, you you don't know what go in people's heads. And, depression, uh, it literally <laughs> is exactly it's that it makes
1: thing. The way I look at depression, it's 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 like I remember when I was a kid, I had a, an illness where um, my blood cells were performing the way they shouldn't do, and I guess mm. for depression, it makes your your brain think things it shouldn't think, and like people would be better off without us and all of this, and it's very course, sad. Yeah, yeah. It is because it makes people. Um, it is a disease. Do you know what I mean?
2: Of course, yeah. I, I but I, I remember
1: seeing his sons on the pitch with mm. Alan, like, and uh, like you, it, it was it fucking filled us with emotion mm. and so much respect for them as young men. Like,
2: of course, yeah. That I, I couldn't. I, it's just so hard to explain how they, how like I'm just thinking, their dad died like a like. Just and you and could,
1: you said yourself, what a great man. Like yeah, he was, was as the, well.
2: It was the bit, it's just
1: does everything for everyone. everyone. Not the type of bloke who would ever want to leave his sons without a dad. Clearly not. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? But this is
2: everything is like even everyone talks about Wales and what they did. Mm-hmm. He laid the groundwork. He's done, that's just the man he was. He, oh yeah. He just and again, which pains me. And listen, and he had a bit of a tough going with the crowd at sometimes it's true, at St James's Park no, I know thinking, how, <laughs> how, can, how can Gary speed like because when you talk about leaving every inch of yourself on yeah. the pitch every single time yeah what 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 a fella he was yeah. mm-hmm. How did you feel
0: being a player who played alongside him because it, it seems that you don't perceive yourself to be in that sort of same style of player as he was or Alan was or that sort of stoic British man who sort of you know just gets does, goes the, about the old fashioned the old fashioned football mm. player how did you see yourself compared to them
2: what do you mean playing uh, with him what do you mean so how did,
0: when you when you were alongside them yeah. what kind of player would you describe yourself as <coughs> because he was obviously a already seri- took his business very seriously wasn't the flair player or the, the young promising talent that maybe you were
2: I had most of my success at Newcastle because of him, because he gave me the license to just go and do what I wanted and he'd, he'd basically <laughs> take responsibility. Take responsibility. Yeah. And um, Can you remember that time when we played Liverpool? It was an away game and we go into each other's face and have a little bit of a pushing yeah. match and there's me pushing speed up back <laughs> thinking, he's going to kill me in <laughs> the honestly. After yeah. all I'm thinking for the last 20 minutes of the game is, how am I going to get yeah. out of this? Because he will. Rip he wouldn't want to headbutt you, that's no. for sure. Because he had a bullet he was, head. On so, him. Um, again, talking about the man and that. So, um, again, he's a senior pro, and even though he's our frustration going, he he did push me first, but but I still I was telling the fuck off you prick, and that mm-hmm. disrespected him. And I'm worried for my well being, and <laughs> what's going to happen when we get into the change room. And after the game, he comes straight up to me and goes, "I started it. I'm sorry." And thinking, like the guy was just, just this is a senior pros. The like, like, and you got a little twenty, twenty one, twenty two year old disrespect you in a way. Even, even if, and he he was the one, first one to apologise and and everything. You think, wow. fucking, what a man.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, one thing when I think when you talk about <laughs> him as a player, it's funny because um, you were like everyone talks now about uh, Scholes, Lampard, Gerrard and that and I suppose Scholes was on a he was very much his own player nobody was ever quite like Scholes but Gerrard and Lampard were compared a lot but I remember back in the day they were in your shadow as the young players You you were the one that everyone had picked for greatness you were a fucking great player in the Champions League and you were really good for Newcastle but why do you think you never went down the way Lampard and Gerrard have.
2: Good, uh, because in the, in the forward for my book, I got Pete Taylor to um, Pete Taylor to do the forward in my book, and he says um, he's going about it, and he says it's easy to play the what if game, and he's saying that I should have played for a Barcelona, and I should be mentioned in the same breath as them, and I got. When I was on the pitch, again, it gets labeled a lot. When I get on the pitch, sometimes I get labeled, he doesn't care, in it, And I can now say that, I say it in the book, everyone looks at James Milner as the epitome of hard work, dedication, Da da da. Every time I play for any club, I had the most running in a game. I had the most high intensity in the game, or I was in the top three every single time I was on the pitch. Does that show someone who doesn't care? if you know what I mean and when you're talking about these players what happened to me is I got so when I was on the pitch I gave 100% but the lead up to a match or training I cut corners if we just for instance if we had a Saturday game no midweek game and a Saturday game my night would be Saturday night we're out Sunday night we go to Jules Monday would be in the gate into Tiger Tiger Tuesday would be another student night so when you're thinking of top top athletes to go to the next stage it might be just 0.5% it might be 0.6% when you're out Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday again people may say Oh, yes, he did no, I didn't so if there was a club rule in place where you weren't allowed out forty eight hours before a game, we never broke that right for how bratish or whatever we are, there were some rules we abided to, but still, if you're out for and I'm, and I'm not talking going out and not drinking, we're doing ten bambmbooker and that, so did I fulfill my potential no, and that's I think because I got it all horribly wrong off the pitch with my dedication and my professionalism. And it again, it pains me that when I went to West Ham and I was mature and I was the first one into training, the last one to leave to training, very rarely had a drink, did everything right following the Gary Speed, I couldn't stay fit. And you just think it's a karma for what that, you did in Newcastle. That's part of the title of the book, um- yeah, of course. What's title again? Oh, too soon, smart, too late. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I do as well. Yeah. It's just because um, uh, I love my boxing and there was a quote that Mike Tyson used and, and then he also says that um, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And, <laughs> and I use that about when I break my leg at West Ham that this is the prime of my career and I'm, I'm ready to kick on and live my life like a proper pro and I never got the chance because of all the injuries after that
1: one of the things that you said in the book was uh, like when you talk about your nightlife and all that and I mean the stories about you I, and I don't. I want you to clear this one up for me sure. because I've heard this in so many different variations. I think
2: I know what it is. A, cause a, I've a heard pound it. note. Yeah, you had a
1: twenty pound note or a fifty pound note. He's either making it rain. He's lighting it on fire. What the fuck did you do? It with is it?
2: complete. And I, I've heard this story about me burning fifty pound notes. At first, it was I was burning fifty pound notes what in Ipswich, and then it was I was burning fifty pound notes in Newcastle. And the funny thing about it is that. The amount of people who said they've witnessed this. This nightclub must be big in St James's Park. <laughs> I'm telling you, not every here. taxi driver in yeah, Newcastle it has this story. I'm it's also you, illegal. I'm telling you now. And I, I think you know from my book how honest and how honest yeah, I am being yeah. here. If I did, I'd admit it. I would not up I was in it. You've wanted I, the worst. To I be fair. have never ever burnt money ever in my life. And the funny thing is like when this goes out and you'll read the comments i bet there'll be someone say, yes he did <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was there I was there the Club is yeah. complete they, Great night, yeah. they are liars the Tiger Tiger <laughs> and there's a, not too long ago I was in a um, bar because I, I don't drink now and I was in a bar and this woman comes up to me and she was like you seem to really mature because I was in there the night in the club the, the club was called Hollywoods and then late later got you and I was there that night when you burnt money and I went you liar mm-hmm why are you lying? I've never, and she was like, oh, I I weren't there, but I was in the club that, it's never happened. And you just think, where does it, well, I do, I think I do know where it come from because I heard this story when I was a youth team player, it was being talked around at Ipswich and it was an established Premier League player. And then I go and tell my mates, we were in a bar and I was like, oh, you've got to hear this story. And the story was that this player was trying to get into a nightclub and the bouncer said, you ain't getting in here just because you're a footballer, I don't think I can't do what you... bloody blah, blah, blah. And this player gets out of money, burns the money and says, I bet you can't do this. Something along them lines. Right. And the w- only way I think this has happened is that it's like the Chinese whisper. Someone tells the story to someone else and by the time wow. it gets a... And from, and then it ends up me being the player. And the thing is, at the time when I told this story, I was like... I was a youth player on like £47.50 a week. And by the time this rumour was coming out in Ipswich, I'm thinking, well how do I even live with on my wages yeah, the, one, my the wages, thing but, that
1: was said about you yeah, just generally yeah, yeah. on nights out is the way you'd speak to people um, that's, uh, do you I, think that's fair that's true so because I know lads who owned bars back in the day who that's said that's true so be like,
2: I've never burnt money but there'll be times where I've had a poor game a fan come up to me um, be having a go duh, 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 duh. you prick fucking go home and I'm like mate leave me alone I'm with my mates having a thing and he's like don't you tell me that I fucking, I pay, I, I, I pay your wages. And I'll go, fuck me, I didn't know your season ticket cost three million quid, or, <laughs> along that, just yeah. a dick but in retaliation. So yeah, there's been times where a fan will sing and I'd, I'd give it large to you. What,
1: so. what if, cause you're painting yourself in a good light there and that's fair, but have mm. you ever just no, acted like not. you owned the place just cause you know how you said that your ego was taken over at one point?
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I touched on the, the Iron yeah. Appa. We- oh yeah tell us mm-hmm. about I so no, don't asked-
0: know just one question mm-hmm. you know you didn't burn money you, have you ever made it rain no never, right. okay. no, never it's never a shame really because I was um, kind of hoping you had no nah. <laughs> be- like, we'll do it later right, sure. though, um, yeah. YouTube plays it's funny because
2: well one of my heroes now and it's more for what he does in the ring is fly Mayweather and you yeah. think yeah. about he has May, sleeps on money makes it rain and everything yeah, yeah. no I've never done that okay. but like you said I've, I have cashed people off before I've, um, and when you say you bowl around like you own the place. Yeah. I think I touch on it Unai and Appa, it was like the, it was like, that, sounded that was, mental. that was the, the height of it. It was like you, you think you're above the law. Well, the way people treat you, like the adulation, it gives you a sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in, people are in their best clothes. We're coming sweaty with, BO and sand all over the place, straight from the beach, 15 of us being allowed into a, a bar. Um, me and Woody having a beer fight and like if things, people get splattered with beer and we're not caring in the world. And you just look at it now and you just think, what the fuck will we be thinking? But... And I touch on them because people say, because I think it's British men in general on holidays when they go abroad, but because we were professional footballers, I think we were even worse, if you know what I mean. So British men going on these holidays and expect certain things and whatever, but we were, we just took it to a, and again, yeah, when we went to Baja, there was a kind of thing that like we run the gaff kind of thing without the burn of money and yeah. stuff. But you know that, look at us, we, we've, we're playing in the Champions League and just, yeah I probably would
1: have been worse to be fair to you that was one thing I've, I've actually never yeah. been that annoyed at you for is, uh, enjoying being young and yeah. fucking rich I, I don't think you should be grudged at the lads uh, and you didn't have social media then mm. so you could get away with a bit more as well sure. now you would have been fucked you would have been kind <laughs> of to of be funny. fair you did get your camcorder out at one point anyway um, <laughs> yeah. that wasn't you yeah it wasn't me uh, yeah. Lampson, and Rio uh, and you touch on that um what was it like when you realised that shit was going down? Did that because it seemed to freak you out a bit in the book where you're like, fuck me, like um 'cause then the newspapers are coming out saying player in gang rape and all of that and it's
2: Yeah, so um When I come home, again when you're talking about entitlement and the way you are. So I came home from INAPA on like I like landed Thursday morning, met my friends in a bar on an all day of Thursday afternoon and um, one of my friends get into a, a scuffle, look at me, seven stone wet through, can't throw a punch, there's me in the front, who, what the fuck you did? <laughs> gets smashed in my eye, my eye gets split open. So I go to hospital and my eyes in a pretty bad way, I have to have an eye test in the morning and everything. So when I'm at the hospital, my mum rings me and says, the press are outside. So I'm thinking, oh the fuck have the press got hold of this that quick. So anyway, I've, I've, I've snuck in around the back and um, they were there all day until like Saturday night, kept knocking on the door, can we get a quote? So I'm like, N- no. So then my mum goes and gets a paper on the Sunday because I'm thinking it's going to be about a fight and you thinking it's like England stars in video sex tape and yeah. And my mum comes in, throws the paper at me, you're an embarrassment and, and I'm like shocked because I'm thinking how the hell have they, they got this camera and then as the story come on and because there were so many hangers on a holiday and they knew about this camera and someone's stolen the camera, sold it to the press. And my whole thing was with that was that the way the papers and the press put it out there was that these, these women, they made it that all these incidents happened in one night, which weren't cause the holiday was a week and there was footage from all over the place. And, um, yeah they said that these people these girls and there's they were secretly filmed and it was complete nonsense um w- with my case i was with a girl and someone gets the hotel key for thing and they come in from behind and as soon as we sense that there's someone in the room i jump off the girl and right. and basically get out of the room get out of the room made sure the girl was okay got her a taxi so i didn't secretly film her like it was being portrayed and I think the same with the other boys. So um, again, that was tough that you were labeled as, listen, what we were doing in Iron Apple, like I said, we we thought we were above the law and blah. Say we, I thought I was above the law and bloody blah. But there's certain things that I wouldn't do. And that was one, and I was getting harshly criticized for that.
0: Yeah, you're allowed to have sex with people. I mean, it's not, really, it's not course, illegal, illegal. Yeah, of on, course, right? yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> no, mean, you but, are technically but, allowed to do it on but, camera. Yeah, but
2: for them to say that we secretly filmed it was it was bullshit.
1: What was it like um, having all the lasses after you
2: and that? That must have been fun, mate. I loved it
1: yeah. at the time. Um, Does, I, I like how many. <laughs> How many uh, chapters are named after women? In the yeah, bag, uh, yeah, yeah. the girl.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, you milked the all It was worth, did you? So to speak. Yeah, I. had Why not?
2: Yeah, I did. Yeah, the, the, and the, again, when I was in Ipswich, and you're uh, you're in the championship, and you get a level of fame, you you think, oh yeah. But then when going to Newcastle, and the way I started, like for how bad the team was struggling, I started off like a house on fire. I was just ripping it up that mm. first few months. On the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then obviously getting introduced to by Warren to the side, it just I couldn't believe what I, it was. Just like being in one of these holiday resorts yeah. every day. It's just. Is, wow. is
0: Newcastle so because the way that I understand it, I've been to Newcastle a couple of times uh-huh. now and I've spoken to you about it. It's quite a bubble. It's it's it's, it's a bit like Liverpool Fuck in that right. sense. That it's you are the man around town because you play for the biggest team yeah. in one in what they believe is the greatest city in the world. You know, there's all these clubs. Everyone's going out having a good time. Do you think that plays into it somewhat?
2: Well, I, I massively. And one of the big things about Newcastle, and he again, I'm saying he got a lot of stick from the fans and people saying that just because they thought he wanted to leave but it weren't JJ when he said it was he had to he had to leave it was like living in a goldfish bowl and he couldn't cope with was it was that Jermaine Genis Jermaine Genus, yeah. yeah and uh, the fans were like yeah yeah but honestly he he couldn't deal with it and the, the amount of rumours like you said the, well the 50 pounder but I touch on the rumour, there's a Story in the book about the gangster. Have you read the gangster? gangster. You probably would know the gang I'm not going to say the gangster family's name, but basically, yeah, we're talking about rumors. So it was probably in my first season at Newcastle, and um, it was Big Al. He pulls me aside and says, My dad pulled me the other day, and apparently, you've got some gangster girl, some gangster's daughter pregnant. So I'm thinking, What? So, So listen. How bad I was, or whatever, I could account for every girl I'd slept with or guys I'd get. Is your dad a gangster? Yeah. Like, well, yeah. good to go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, So, basically, this. so so I kind of dismissed it. Yeah, whatever. It's just Newcastle. So, later on, or a couple of days later, I have Freddie Shepard ringing me and he's like, Kieran, uh, have you heard the rumor about the gangster? And he was telling me the, about this. Thing. Blow people's kneecaps off and da 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 da. Freddie Shepherd was telling me this, telling me the story, saying, Calm not down." Yeah, so now I I you know they blow people's kneecaps off. Gets, okay, see well.
0: well.
2: <laughs> It gets worse. It gets worse. No, I love so it. I'm like, now I'm like, whoa. So I'm still like, 100 percent bullshit. I because I know because I know who I slept with or slept with around these time periods or whatever. And then later on that day, the police from Newark, the police ring me up talking about giving me 24 hour surveillance this is how a rumour can escalate so I'm like what the fuck is going on <laughs> now, now I'm literally like you must have oh, been worried about it. I mean, 24 yeah. hour surveillance outside your your place how am I supposed
0: to get women in and out now <laughs> yeah.
2: so fucking I'm just use fly- the police officer. Yeah. so women. I'm like no, this is serious now so I make a few phone calls there was Big Pugger have you ever come across Big Pugger He used to own the Blackpool pub across oh, yeah. the road
0: you
2: can't <laughs> say you do but and um, Lawrence was a driver that we all used and they knew some people so I was like listen can you make some inquiries and that so again about a couple of hours later my phone rings it's a withheld number and I never ring withheld numbers but because of what's going on it could be something so I pick up and I go hello and then it was the gangster in the, and he was like Hello, this is bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah. And you know when, like, a horror film when the camera zooms into the face? It just felt like that, and I'm just like frozen. and He's like, like the Wolf
1: of Wall Street. This point, and I'm he, imagining,
0: by the way, all the policemen in the background with the tapping phone yeah. thing going. We can't get them. Get on the phone.
2: <laughs> and he's just like, I've heard the rumors. My daughter has never even seen you. She doesn't even know you or anything. And I'm like, feeling. And then what will always stick with me as well is when he says like. Trust me, if you ever need anything sorted out or anyone disappearing, <laughs> just find me and give me a call and I'll sort it out for you. So I've always thought, okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> it's quality. Wow. And then again, touching on that, a couple of weeks later, I'm in a bar and uh, I keep getting tapped on the show and I turn around and something, but I don't want to give her any intention. I'm thinking, fuck. She kept tapping me. So now I'm going to just about to go, like, do one. Yeah. So I turn around and she goes like that like to say I'm um, the ge- and I'm like ah oh, two bottles of champagne here you go like <laughs> With a a so, yeah, so, that's great. so that's just like and there's there's so many rumours what go around but that's part and parcel of um of of living in Newcastle
0: because what you were saying was and I don't think I took you like, in Newcastle recently for the yeah, first time we had a great little tour but also what you were saying was and I think this happens in certain cities or within certain communities is when someone gets success sometimes people want to bring you down especially when they feel like they feel like the ones who have brought you up yeah even I've had that and in Newcastle to me the stories that you always hear from some of those players it doesn't happen at every club because you don't get that it happens in certain clubs in London maybe it happens sometimes at Liverpool Everton, but it definitely happens in Newcastle you've had it yourself with other, other last week someone
1: treated me saying you used to support Man United when you were at school I'm like literally I've got pictures of me <laughs> and Alan Shearer as a fucking <laughs> <editor> <laughs>
0: to be <laughs> fair Alan almost went to Manchester yeah I wouldn't have, I wouldn't um, have. Uh, cool. we've set the record straight for that guy now he's more <sighs> moron but the point is uh, it's a city where when you get a bit of success people can often want to see you fall well. it, it, the
1: football team is all we have in Newcastle really like, it, it,
0: but it, it goes against, it, it, be, what, it it goes
1: against like the interest be,
2: of the team to you know? be fair to yeah. Newcastle I don't think it's a city thing I think it's I'm not saying it's everyone I think it's the country in general yeah I think, I don't know, our mindset, our mentality is that when people are doing well, there's that hinge of jealousy or we have to knock them down. While in other countries in America, they can drive a freight and people are like, whoo, high five, or, what a car in that. If someone drives yeah. a Bugatti down in Newcastle, what a prick. What, you know, it's just that whole mentality. And so I wouldn't label that directly at Newcastle. All how did jealousy affect
1: you? Because obviously you had so much and, and some of those around you do, don't have that, Other regular people on the street don't have that. Did it... Because jealousy, for me, brings me... It makes me feel a bit down.
0: Really?
1: Because like, I'm like, do you know how much I've had to fucking struggle to get anything in my think, life? Why but, would you want to fucking take that away from me? Like, you know, if you knew did, what I've fucking been through, you'd be like, fucking celebrating for like us. Even
2: with the rumours with the money and that, that used to fucking piss me off really bad, that... And certain things, the jelly, like you said, stories used to get me down. But then it got to the stage where if I knew my family knew the truth and the best people, my friends knew me around the thing, everything else was irrelevant. And that's the kind of mindset I did to get rid of that yeah. because otherwise it would just eat and consume you yeah. like you, you can't said, worry and about it everyone. Did. Exactly. You yeah. cannot. So as long as they knew, and the people around me, that kind of put me in good stead. But like you said, right at first, it it
0: it it did consume yeah. me, even like... Hey, guys, just going to stop the podcast for a second there to talk to you about our latest sponsor on the podcast, someone else who wants to support The True Geordie. And they want to support in more than one way. Brian and I have recently been looking into getting our merch out there to you guys. Do you want a T-shirt? Do you want a poster? Do you want a little postcard? Do you want a dog jacket? Uh, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Anyway, whether you want to sell your own merch or you want to buy ours, either way, your life could be made easier by ShipStation. That's right. If you already ship online, then you're going to know how difficult it can be to get your merchandise out to your customers. ShipStation.com want to change that. ShipStation are the most popular choice for online UK sellers. And so that's why they should also be the choice for you, whether you're on eBay, Amazon, any of the platforms, and there's over 60 of them that these guys operate on, it brings all your orders into one place, making them really easy to manage from any device, including your mobile phone. You could even be sitting at home in your pants on the couch, managing customers' orders just like that. Maybe you're in one corner of the living room, maybe you've got your partner on the other side of the living room, one of you's checking the orders, the other one is batching them up and then printing them out, getting them out to the customers. I don't know how your business operates, but I just get the thing that's how Brian and I would do it, I'm just saying. The point is that Brian and I strongly recommend ShipStation because we've been looking into getting our own merchandise and we know how difficult it can be to get orders out to customers. The whole point is that if you go to ShipStation.com right now, you can help support the podcast and also help support yourselves by making it easier to ship your merch. Just go to ShipStation.com right now and if you click the microphone in the top of the homepage and type in true. yes that's right true geordie all block capitals then you can get a special online promotion that comes exclusively to the true geordie podcast shipstation.com make ship happen and this is genuinely their tagline make ship happen doesn't get any simpler than shipstation.com
2: with the, the the captain's armband and the right wing that can we, can we talk about that uh, yeah, now? Of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that was one of the worst <laughs> things for your public image, particularly in Newcastle. Bobby, for all we made, the fucking big mistake of, of letting him go in the end, um, mm. will always be known as uh, the grandfather of... He's like the grandfather of Newcastle. Like, And now when people look at him, they feel like the people who betrayed him, particularly are you for refusing to play for him. And that's like a cardinal sin as a footballer. What do you think when you look back at that situation now
2: yeah I think that Um I take it upon myself that I I was the main reason why he lost his job um, I think I've put some context to it but that still doesn't make it right and also because again he tried to protect me by keeping me out of the Aston Villa the game that we needed to win to keep his job I begged him to play <laughs> And Because the fans were on my case, he wanted to protect me by keeping me out of the firing line, and I feel that I could have helped win that game. So um, that whole s, esp- yeah, I, 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 even though I put context to it, I I feel that um, I let him down. More it did than make more people. sense when I read the book because mm. I got the,
1: the full story and yeah. that, and I was like, all right, well, that does.
2: It doesn't make it right though. Um, it makes it more
1: understandable, but it's not right. So yet.
2: there's more, I, there's another thing I touched on it as well. I had a, a, I had a big B in my bonnet about, I play my best football in the center. So when I play for Newcastle, I played a lot of positions. So as a player, it's never your fault. Mm-hmm. So when I played on the right or the left and I didn't have a good game and the fans were getting on my back, straight away, as a defense mechanism myself, is, oh, it's because I hate playing that position. Yeah. I should be playing centrally. You know, make yourself feel better, that old shit. And um, so, straight away, when I always used to play wide, I'm always going on the pitch and negative thinking, well, I can play best in the center. If I give the ball like oh, it's because I'm not playing center. So, you know, you keep convincing yourself. Already. So you've got to convince, so, so then when the fans are on your case a bit, oh, oh it's because I'm not playing play center field. Like, and I could have easily... Listen, I was a great right winger or a great... It was just the mindset, me going onto the pitch. So so we had the pre-season and the whole pre-season I was playing centre midfield and I was playing very well. And we had this... Um, we had this cup, Rangers, and I think it was one of the Portuguese teams were in this tournament we had at St. James's Park. And we play Rangers and I'm playing centre midfield. And this that season we just bought Patrick Cliver... Nicky Bart, right. Stephen Carr, James Milner. So we'd obviously finished fifth. We bought some good players to kick on. We've obviously lost Gary Speed. So um, I'm playing really well. And it was at Rangers at half time. And um, Lauren Roberts signaling that he has to come off. So um, Bobby said to Craig, You go on the left. Um, so Craig straight away, is literally in tears, pleading. I know what's going to happen. The fans, fingers the dream team, Shearer, Cliver up front, fingers the dream team, I've been unbelievable for you. Please don't, please don't do this to me. Please, like, pleading. It's not like Craig usually where, fuck off and fuck, he's like, pleading. Please, I've done unbelievable for this club. Pleading, pleading. I, I can see it already. I'm not a left winger, please. So anyway, and the gaffer's like, Son, I know you're a threat and he's pleading Oh no, I know what you lot are all gonna do, the fans are demanding Shearer Clover, da 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 da. So this is going on and on and on and then the buzz is getting pressed for half time by the referee. And it's still Bellas is nearly crying like I'm a strike so anyway, I've Been being thinking, fuck it, Sony Free, I said to Gaffer, look, you got Nicky Butt on the bench, why don't you bring on Nicky Butt and I'll go and play on the left. So problem solved so um, Gaffer's like yeah good idea so we go out for the second half I play left wing we end up battering four end up we score I think I scored the last goal as well so we come in afterwards and I, I think there's going to be some by well, what just happened and the Gaffer's Gaffer or C's like see ya Monday mm-hmm. so I'm like oh okay fair enough listen Craig's my best mate I don't want seeing the thing but I thought there'd be something what's going on yeah so then on the Thursday before well Friday before we played Middlesbrough the team's getting handed out bibs and um, bloody the dreaded bibs again bibs.
0: everyone's going around he's going fucking bibs hand me the bibs but this
2: time the first team are getting you want the, the first team are giving the bibs Alan's going and I'm, I've am got the I've got the this was on the Thursday and I get the bib and Woody comes up to me Jonathan Woodgate and goes looks like you're playing right wing and I'm like piss off I've like played the whole set of my field in that yeah And it was true, I was playing right wing. So straight away, my negative thoughts about playing right wing and then I've got to be in my bonnet of the Craig situation. Well, Craig says he doesn't want to play left, even though he didn't flat out refuse, but he's pleading, please don't play me. I'm the good Samaritan. Now I'm getting punished for being a good Samaritan. So all these things are racing in my head. So anyway, training go, I sulk through the whole of the training. I don't even go in and have a shower. I've spat my dummy out massively now. Go home in my training kit, get my gear, drive home. So I ring the gaffer that night. He pick, he doesn't pick up. I leave an answer machine saying, "Gaffer is Kieran. Um, my head's gone. I don't want to play on the right." Um, other players tell you they don't want to play there. It's fine. I said, if you don't think I'm good enough to play in centre midfield, hopefully I'll prove my worth and I forced my way in you've just bought James Milner he's a right winger didn't hear nothing from the gaffer so um, the next day <laughs> gaffer pulls me aside and that's when they get the picture so he pulls me outside onto his patio and I wouldn't say it was an argument you could tell I'm cross in my face but the gaffer's like I got your message time but you'll be alright and I was like gaffer my head's gone and he was like well you need to get your head right I'm, saying, I'm telling you if I play right wing on Saturday my head is completely gone so there's a grey lining, but listen, I'm not going to say no. I, I basically said I didn't want to play. So um, the Middlesbrough game comes, and um, he's picked James Milner to start, and I felt a bit of relief. I'm, it's, you know, I'm not playing, but I felt a bit of relief about it, which is strange in a world. But again, that, that's
1: weird for me, yeah, because I'd rather play right wing than exactly. Than but not it, at all. Was,
2: it was just my mindset of I had this be in my bonnet if that if I'm going to get stick, if I'm playing second field and I get stick, I can accept that. But I, I don't know. It's just the way I taught myself in all these years is that I'm not playing in my best. I use that as an excuse. And play. so anyway, the game comes on and we, <laughs> and we're doing well. And JJ that day was a Jermaine genius was on fire. I'm thinking I ain't getting back in this team because we played really well that day. And then there was about 60 minutes and, Bobby's called me on, and he's coming on. And where am I coming on? Right wing. So I'm fuming again that. So James would want to come off. I come on right wing. I think, well, I'm on the pitch. I always do a job for the team. And um, it's about five minutes to go. I think Al scored apparently to make us 2 1. And Al's coming off the pitch. And now I'm assistant manager, I'm assistant captain. So again, this is. So I'm trying to concentrate on football. So all these things are racing red. I've refused, to, I'm playing right wing, I'm fuming about that. Now Al's coming off to give me the armband. So I'm thinking I've got a decision to make here. If this ever comes out, I know how the Georges are, especially with their armband. The armband and number nine is treasured things. Mm-hmm. I've been there a number of years, I know. So I'm thinking, if this story eventually comes out and I've put the cap down I'm after disrespecting their football club, I'm fucked. But if I don't put the armband on, will people think why didn't he put the armband on? So I'm. This is all racing through my head. What the hell do I do? What the hell do I do? He's running towards you. So he's what well, he's walking to. Him. He's right. pissed off. He's coming off for of Patrick Clover. You know how he wants goals. <laughs> so uh, as he's walking up, as he's walking towards me, the way I tried to convince myself is that if I hand the armband to someone else, because I was sub. People might think us because he was a sub. This is what I'm trying to think to because I'm. This is a game going, and I'm all I'm thinking is how the fuck am I not getting in trouble with, mm. which is crazy to think. So I've looked around there. Shay and there's Aaron Hughes who are the more senior players at Newcastle. So I go up to Aaron and fling the armband at Aaron. and Said you put this on. So um. When people say I disrespected the armband. I wasn't. I was trying to protect myself in a way and not disrespect. The new, the new cast of bands by putting it on. So after the game- You should have just put the fucking oh, armband no. on, shouldn't Tell you? I you though. shook
0: the responsibility in a way there and sort of should have just put it on and realized in the fullness of time, you'd be able to explain yourself.
2: Yeah, I should have. I should have been a man and put the armband on and if it came out, I should have- I think it's a shame it.
1: really when I hear that story mm. because it seems to me like uh, Bobby believed that you could go on to be a real leader. And obviously you're doing that now. Yeah. But at the time you just weren't fucking ready, ready. for that.
2: Exactly. I think I think even with the Loire Loire and the Christian Basilis mm-hmm. and he said you're a leader, And I think he realised the potential mm-hmm. that I had, but like you said, I was just not ready the for it. The fact that you were was, even
1: deliberating this has yeah. shown that you weren't ready for it. I
2: was just too immature. And again, what pains me is that so, they get, so I cock up the goal. So we're 2-1 up. Zenden run down the line and I literally slip. And when I mean slip, I literally go whoa, head first into four. He crosses it, Hasselbank scores the equaliser. So I'm thinking, right, let me get this right. I refuse to play right wing. I've shunned the captain's armband and I've cost us a goal. I know I'm a fuck up, but that is pretty epic for me yeah, <laughs> to fuck up like this. So... I'm devoed in the change room with regards to I'm more devoured for the gaffer and um, he goes off and do the press and when he comes back in he comes straight to me and he goes they know and I say what do you mean he says there is some pictures of us arguing someone from the club must have leaked someone from inside the change room must have leaked that you've uh, said you didn't want to play on the right wing but he said I've protected you I've told them it's complete nonsense so I'm like again everything you need to know about Bobby is that I've let you down I've let the club down I've let the fans down but you're still out there protecting me just sums the man up Mm -hmm. like so yeah so then yeah so after all that it's an international break I then meet up with England where's the England playing Wembley's under reconstruction first games at St James's Park I come on at half time <coughs> booed out of the place you're
0: playing, playing sentiment <laughs> field <everybody>. no on the wing on the wing <laughs> I know it you, England. You, you, yeah. can't,
2: you can't write this stuff who was the manager though? Sven was Okay. thing yeah fucking so, Sven um, eh? I think it. I might have come on the left because I think Sean Wright-Phillips scores his first goal that I think Sean's on the right right but Sven S- had it hard enough in the yeah, centre midfield the yeah, Then anyway so it was do I play
0: Lampard do I play Gerrard do I play, play Scholes you were exactly the last yeah. thing on his mind at that point he's just going
1: kind of, get on that fuck fucking man. Sven yeah. Yeah. So, uh, was he as shit as I think he was no he was
0: better right I hope he was as good as I think he was
1: I thought he was dog shit as England manager really uh, You're I mate. think that to, to, to not
2: That's, uh, Sven what that Did you Daymond, respect his womanizing? That, that the problem, with the, the the only thing I had with Sven was, which, even though Kevin Keegan wasn't a success as an uh, as an England manager, Kevin Keegan went on form. Like I was right. bottom of the league for Newcastle, but I was playing well. I was very good in training that day. He picks me in the team. When you turned up with Sven, you knew the starting eleven regardless of yeah, who's fun. playing well, who hasn't. He so, just on name, didn't he? And I think that Probably is another names, one of the problems with England. Maybe it's a bit different with Gareth, I think. I think you proved that with Rooney. But England teams are picked on, not on form. I think, Social America, I think it? it was shown with, um, when Jordan Henderson and Jack Wilshire had their injury problems in, before the last tournament. Yeah. And everyone was making a case for Mark Noble and Danny Drinkwater. Danny Drinkwater had just won the league, was playing the thing. But is Danny Drinkwater as good as Jack Wilshere, or Jordan Denison? I don't think he is. But was he playing better than him? Of course, because he was injured. But they still went, and that's. You, know, you know, you've been talking about Bobby and his his
1: charisma and how he'd get you to run through fire for him, basically. Like I think the best managers all seem to have a little bit about that, like like that about them. Um, Mourinho, there's a glint in his eye. There's a bit of charisma,
0: arguably from Bobby. He yeah. When
1: him. when I watch a Gareth Southgate interview, fuck me, mate. Honestly, he's the least <laughs> inspirational fucking cunt I've ever seen in my life. Met
0: Steve McLaren.
1: No, genuinely though, like.
0: But to to to
2: defend Gareth, mm. a bit like the Gary Speed. So when I I talk about fear, so when I play for England, I always I didn't want to make a mistake. And I think a lot of players have this and you take the easy option and that. When Gareth was a player, he always used to pull me aside and give me little tips and like saying, Kieran, when I play against you in the Premier League, whether you're playing off the strike or off and that you are a nightmare to play against. You're running, your enthusiasm, doing things. I don't see that with England. And I always appreciated that. Like of all the senior players at England, when you're talking about who the England captain was, he was like, for me, like a Gary Speed. And I get what you're saying with regards to his charisma. It doesn't. It doesn't come. Have you seen the water interview? No, I, haven't, no, no, I he, haven't.
1: When they go, what do you, what do you drink when you playing? He goes, just water. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, I totally get that. But yeah. it, it's surprising if you actually if you got him here and you he opened up. He for well, me, the thing. for me as as a player, I didn't. He never got me to play how I should have played for England because again when we talk about the fear and again when I play for England I was always wired so I had that negative thing going on to a football pitch but I
1: suppose it's like with you I had a preconception of who you are and then you watch someone on a pitch and you try and develop an idea of who they are as a person no. and it isn't that's not who they
0: are So it's similar with Conte at the moment isn't it because Conte but, is similar
2: again um, I think clubs I know players get, but we are so isolated from fans. We are player liaison officers. We cannot mingle with fans. They keep on top of everything, even with the press. And I think that becomes a separation from reality. So we're I think it's kept more separated now than ever from ever. It's kind of in there. When, I, though, isn't when it? I was when I was at Ipswich as a kid, a journalist could ring me direct. He could have my mobile. He could text me. For, but the way football and the way football clubs are run now. Players are getting further withdrawn from fans, from media. And it does have that disconnect. I I, I do. You don't get to see the real people. And like I said, just going on the jungle, um, I thought I was going to be the first voted out. I thought I'd be the most hated. You don't know housewives. And then when you just... (laughs) (laughs) And just by being yourself and... People are like, oh, he's actually not what we thought. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't think you can get away with it because it's a the clubs have a duty and that's the way they run. But um, if I ever went into management, I would try to get my players to be a lot more open and out there with fans and stuff, definite.
0: What do you think of Kevin Keegan? Because he's, I- yeah, he's an interesting character, isn't he, in football? sort of, um, He's a bit of a figure of fun now in English football, isn't he? Right. He just,
2: everything, you, everything I thought I knew of him with the interview and, he, and the one when he slumped down in the interview, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Yeah. And the best way to sum him up is after that England-Germany game, a bit when you said, when I one fan says something to me that makes me think me and Newcastle are done. So he's walking down the side of the pitch and fans are giving him pelters, Keegan, your shit. He just comes into the changing room and says, Thanks, lads, but that's it. I'm quitting. Wow. And you have got the senior players like Tony Adams in that, like, f- brave. Yeah, give,
1: give it. it. He's done that time and time again. Give it a that's few my things. one criticism of Keegan. <laughs> He's a quitter, and that's what we've learned from Fergie and that, and other great managers. Is the ones who can do it for a while at certain places that stand the test time. And Bobby, like Bobby, did it for a while at a lot of places. Like he wasn't just like a one season wonder by any means. Uh, with Keegan I thought he jacked it in far too soon both times at Newcastle do
0: you think that's different characters though because actually we only really have an appreciation for one kind of like we appreciate that longevity of some people but we can't appreciate I think I expect the
1: Ferguson is, is not going to happen but yeah. to expect something to do you know a good few seasons somewhere and build something and then leave something that's in a good stead like like Bobby did so many times
0: can you also respect the other I guess I also respect the other way around that it sort of goes uh, he knows when he's not right for the role anymore and just sort of goes I can't so do I, this I, do you know I, what I, I mean I
2: agree what you say so with the Eng- I think with the England thing it was different because it got to the sense that we we were struggling like hell and the fans yeah. had basically had grown tired of him or wanted to change so he's like you know but like you said with the Newcastle you were on a um, well not the second time but the first time he was on this unbelievable ride like I mean, you think, it, why Why would you we do that? We were like a couple of yeah. seasons away yeah, just, from,
1: from guaranteeing at least the Premier League t- trophy. Like, but
2: really? I reckon. With Sheeran and Ferdinand up front. That's pretty...
1: Janola.
0: That's a pretty good team, I'll give you that.
1: Beardsley. Have you heard about the Beardsley thing? Was that apparent to you, what, what's happened to him? Yeah, so... Um, Had you heard about that before everyone else did as well? Yeah,
2: so... Because... A gang... You want to stand up for the young player, so it's interesting to get your point Well with I can only go on because Peter was he was part of the Kevin Keegan setup when I made my England debut and <coughs> obviously when I was a player at Newcastle he was always there and I didn't think he had a horrible bone in his whole whole body.
0: Right.
2: So when I see these stories now I'm not there so I'm not accusing anyone of a liar and that but I always have that the way the game's going with the kids and especially parents with bullying and stuff. I always think is it kids being oversensitive. It's, it's like when kids these
1: days um, threaten to report their parents to social services and yeah. that, like, cause the kids know the powers that they've got. Or they're shouting know, class,
0: but, I know so, my rights. Like, and you're like,
1: mm. so I don't wanna. No, I remember getting told this by a, a Newcastle youth player myself, yeah. like who was a good mate of mine who said, the young lads are taking the piss out of Peter Beardsley like they don't treat him with the respect he deserves and like Shitting I heard that I heard that door. 10 years ago to be honest with you
2: yeah so so from an outsider looking in and knowing the guy and being at Ipswich and seeing parents come in and complain about certain things and my players only played 35 minutes while yeah. this player's sick do you like there's a load of this bullying and pampering crap and I was thinking is he just told people a few home troops and And they've took it the wrong way yeah so uh, and let's
1: be honest Newcastle isn't exactly the fountain of youth right now with talent I mean, bloody hell.
2: Well, saying that, you lost to really, yeah. Norwich in the last round of the FA Youth Cup, uh-huh. but I went to watch and you had some good players. If anyone can build
0: a good youth setup, it's Rafa Benitez. Well, no, that, that can only happen from
1: help. that one. I just mean, for the longest time, yeah. we haven't produced.
0: Liv- that's what happened at Liverpool, he built an incredible youth setup. Yeah. Now, all those young kids Liverpool are across fan. Europe. What, what's your perception of Rafa Benitez? Have you ever come across him uh, in Europe? No, I know you haven't played under him, but what's your perception of him as a manager and a Newcastle manager?
2: I think he's more a Mourinho type manager than a Pep when you go to the exciting football oh, that, yeah. uh, he's very organised but he's an exceptional manager um, you put most other managers with the Newcastle squad they got this season and I think it'd be Pardis going down
1: have well well you no, like it'd be light out have you out wouldn't it
2: you'd yeah. be well adrift so um yeah, he's just, just, speaking to, just speaking to the Liverpool boys and that. They, they, they He was an amazing manager. I, think, yeah. um, I just wish he, I just wish he had some bankroll like yeah. Newcastle in the thing, because I think Newcastle could do some. Because it attracts players just because of Rafa Benitez as well. What,
1: what, what about um, getting back to the sort of storyline? Yeah. Um, Alright so you refused to play for Bobby Robson yeah. Bobby Robson after that was sacked what was it like when you heard about that were you were you privy to the
2: knowledge beforehand? No I didn't so well so I um, I was left out of the team we then lose to so we drew to um, Norwich the next game was Tottenham we played Tottenham and we lost to Tottenham I think Jermaine Defoe scores up I was on the bench. Jermaine Genius does his hamstring. So I come on, get absolutely pelted, um, which was expected. And then we, the next game was Norwich at home. And um, I start and it's like I've never been able to play football. I was so bad. And made that worse, we are playing Norwich as well. So I had 51,000 Geordie's <laughs> me. And then I had the extra 2,000 Norwich fans booing me or whatever. So it got to the stage when we were saying it was like a relief, me not playing at right wing at Middlesbrough. I was desperate for my board to come up. I was saying, please end this torture. And just before I came off, the ball came and I tried to whip one around the corner into a strike's sphere and i came come off my shin and went into the crowd. And then my board come up and the whole crowd just erupted. Wow. God that must feel fucking pretty intense. So it was a night game and we drew two two, Craig scores two goals that game and then <coughs> I've sat in the bath. So Pete so we usually night game, you're owned by half ten. I sat in the bath until midnight, just me. And Paul Ferris and Big Derek Wright were still there and they come in and offer me a beer and that and I was just thinking, I don't know how I'm ever gonna redeem this and like I was frustrated because even though I didn't want to make excuses, I thought that if I told him my story with regards to why I felt that way, it would soften the blow. But I thought if I did that, then I'm digging Craig Bellamy and there's no way I would want that. So I thought I just had to take all the flack. So yeah, so after that Norwich game, the press were having a field day Bobby's got one more game. Bobby's got one more game. And it was against Aston Villa. And I was in the squad and I travelled down. And JJ was fit that that day. And um, he comes into my room the night of the game and says, I'm going to leave you out altogether. But my argument was that the two games I've played since refusing were both at home. It's 52,000 people. I don't care how mentally strong you are. If you've got 52 feet people, you're not going to play to your best abilities. I said, the way fans are always exceptional. Please let me do this for you. I literally begged him, please, Gaffer, I owe you this. I swear to God, I will get you the win if I have to be a one-man bandit. Seriously. And he was like, no, son, I'm protecting you. I'm just leaving you out of the firing line. And that was the day he left Our hour as well. So I'm in the stand watching it, and we played so well that day. I think we take the lead, and we end up losing four-two. And you're thinking, how do you lose? But I'm upstairs, and I'm nearly in tears because I know that's the end. And I weren't there to help, and I thought that day I could have helped because I, for some reason, I always played well at Villa Park as well. There's a couple of grounds where you just think White Hart Lane and Villa Park, Villa Park, with my two. So uh, yeah, the writing was on the wall and then the news came out and then and then, yeah, he comes into the training ground to um, to tell people and I've got a thing with eye contact anyway from what happened to when I was a kid with the sexual abuse but when I talk about not looking someone in the eye like one, because I would have broke down and two, just because what a dick for letting him down so he was trying to reassure me it's not my fault and the vultures have been out for a while, but yeah, that was a tough day, real tough day.
0: And you felt guilty about that? Yeah.
2: Like I said, I, I still to this day, even though I've put some context, um, I feel that if I played against Middlesbrough on the right wing with my head right, um, we wouldn't have had the bad start. I'm not saying I'm a number, I'm a world-class player, but. Um, James Moon on my work? day yeah and um, that was the beginning of the well obviously coming fifth the season before the Vultures was starting to sell, but it's mental now yeah. oh, I it. know it's crazy hell, mate.
0: people need to sell newspapers it was part of the bottom line of that really wasn't it yeah of course yeah um,
1: they brought in Graham Souness fuck me what did it? Because now most like we've got a younger generation who won't remember the, the soonest as the player or even the manager. Now all you know him for is Sky Sports. Now if you've only just gotten into football in that sort of five ten year, but what did you make of him as a manager? He comes across as a miserable it, bastard. It was,
2: the problem with the problem with soonest was a game for me personally. I played that stretch of football I had in that one season when I won the fans back over and we went on that tear up in the cups. Um, and then I got injured against Lisbon, unfortunately, when we were f- we were gonna batter them. That stretch of football I had was the best I had at Newcastle. So for me, he was fantastic because um, I was literally scared of him, literally scared of him. He also, when all these problems were coming, he helped me win the fans back over. He made me mentally stronger. He also, when we were talking about by the time I went to West Ham and I started to wisen up, he was a part of that because he he pulled me aside one size and he says, he said, when he looks back over his career, he can look himself in the mirror and say, he gave up 100%, can you, and like, that always has resonated with me ever since listen that took a while I didn't say right that's it yeah but the nights the nights out started thing and so for me it was brilliant but again a bit like Rude Hullet I don't know what it is with all these great players they are they're not great they're not great man managers Mm. man managers and again yes we'd lost Gary Speed and the whole Craig Bellamy listen I I Totally agree with Graham soon as Craig had to go after what happened when Craig went on TV, live on TV, and called his manager a liar. and. Um, but to lose, but You're no good mates with Craig. Yeah. Craig, it, it, like I
1: said at the start, what a fucking player he was on his day for us. Yeah. And when, when we had Shearer at his finishing, just elite level finishing, you, Nobby, Lauren Robert Bellamy, the pace, the creativity, it was fucking. I would pay money to watch that any day of the week. It was quality, Brilliant. but yeah, what an asshole he comes across as Bellamy. He, he can't be that much of an asshole because you're a good mates to them. He's not. He, he, Craig, he doesn't put his best foot forward. A lot Craig of the time. is.
2: Craig is always got a chip on his shoulder with regards to for himself. So he's not blessed. So you know how when people talk about his pace, you think talk about his pace. He's not blessed with that pace. Craig was fast, but he wasn't. Speedy like me. He worked every day in the gym, Olympic lifts. He, when we talk about getting the best out of your career, he did everything like for all the, yes, he had nights out and that, but he was the most professional with regards to first into training. Like he, he's, he probably. Cost him his marriage, marriage football because like on a Sunday he'd watch all the Super Sunday, he'd watch Italian football, he'd watch Spanish. Honestly, what life she had? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so everything he did was to make himself a better, and he was so demanding. Mm-hmm. And he's not just obsessive of, then. Obsessive, clearly. even off the pitch, he's he's just so obsessive. And wants demands out of everybody, and that comes across like. I think in his book, it's the human snarl, he calls himself like, he's constantly like that. So, his strength is seen as his weakness by a lot of people with yeah. his perception because he, he's I, not. Each- I felt like we made him. Like, uh, before Newcastle got Craig Bellamy,
1: nobody knew who the fuck he was. Like, in the Premier League, when we signed Craig Bellamy, who? Yeah. And he he seems to forget that. If, if we hadn't have plucked him from obscurity, in my opinion, and don't get us wrong, he grabbed the chance and he did smash it to a degree but we gave you that chance we backed you and after us he had some good games for some clubs but he was never the same player he was his best Bellamy in my opinion at Newcastle
2: so with Craig when you talk about this perception so I mentioned I don't know if you read the chapter when I first come across Craig we were Ipswich v Norwich so we used to play each other in the Norwich youth teams yeah. and he'd always say you fucking you're fucking shit and <laughs> da 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 I Just thinking who is this little, little elf Russian, as you call him that, yeah. so then elf. the next time we came across, the next time we came across each other it was the East Anglian derby I'm in the first team he's a sub for Norwich I'm playing I've played about 30 games he's fritting in, in and out so there's about five minutes to come and he's on the touchline and uh, he's now coming on so as he's coming on, I'm playing right back at the time and he looks over and he says, you are fucking shit. And I'm like, hang on, mate, I'm starting You're sub for Norwich. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And then the next time we come across the game was Newcastle v. Coventry and I scored one of the best goals of school for Norwich. I run from the half-fine, tug a couple of pairs of thing. And as I'm walking back to the touchline, because he's missed about three one-on-ones and that, he's got his hands on his hips and he's just like shaking his head at me saying, you lucky he called me or something. I don't even know what a gimp is, about yeah. him Like, well, so um, his so, finishing
1: was shit. So for when, a long so, time.
2: so when he signed for us and that, I, I was a bit, oh, what's going to happen in the change room? But we just, he was completely different. And he did the for, one of
1: the forwards for the what didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah,
2: and what's um, what's I think he'll admit this as well and when we talk about Coventry because when he was at Norwich he was like me and him were the the two main guys the best players to cut and Robbie Keane at the time who were the three who everyone was talking about and he went to Coventry and it didn't go right for him but at Coventry because they had a lot of senior players he went there and he didn't say boo to a goose if you know what I mean so as you know what makes him tick on the pitch he has to be demanding he has to be so he kind of went into his shell and he says he can remember and it was against um, we played them we beat them 3-0 when we went top of the league there was only four games in we went top of the league we played them 3-0 and I was playing well and JC John Carver and the gaffer must have and JC must have said something to me or something and I turned around to JC on the bench and I went fuck off JC or something and Bellas was on the bench with commentary and he was like fucking hell young players like and then he said, when he came to Newcastle again, he was still in his show, and he'd just see how I was with the Shearers and the things like, if they're giving me banter, I'd give it back. And he's thinking, oh, what I was at Norwich, I can do it. It's so penny dropped. It kind of, I can still be myself around people, if you mm. know what I mean. And I think that gave him the confidence to then be demanding. and Because when he's not like that, he he goes with him so he doesn't play and yeah. even with the Sooners, that short period he had with Sooners after Sooners, what to strangle and rip his head off yeah. Bellas went into his shell and the next what did few- he call him a liar for
1: I can't remember mm-hmm. he, he called Graham Sooners a liar on TV <coughs> didn't he is that right
2: so again it was the um, Bellas someone had told Sooners that Bellas had feigned injury we were playing Arsenal and Bellas was going to be wide and one of the lads said Beller's had feigned an injury. This is a great, it's a funny story. <laughs> so the gaffer soonest was going to leave him out. So they had a meeting or whatever, and it got resolved. So I don't know if Craig said that's bullshit, but, mm-hmm. but anyway, it got resolved, and soon as put Craig in the squad to go to Arsenal. So we went to Arsenal, and he then names the team and the subs, and Craig's not even on the bench. So Craig's in the hump. So, obviously, as the game's going on at Arsenal, Jeff Shreves, being Jeff Shreves, um, says to Bellas, oh, you're injured? Because one of the first questions Sooners asked is, why is Craig... Oh, he's injured. So, they said to Craig, oh, you're not involved today because you're... In- I'm not injured. So, Craig straight away, no, I'm, I'm not injured. So, um, the game finished, or after the game, me and Craig are sitting on the bus, and on the bus, you've got Sky Sports. So, we're watching Sky Sports. Oh, yeah, no So, way. after the game, Sooners is... Getting interviewed about the game, and then they go on to Craig Bellamy. So um, they ask the question: "You've said Craig's injured. Craig saying he's not injured. What's happening? What's happening?" So, as um, soon as he said the story about, well, to tell the truth, Craig didn't want to play in a certain position, so he feigned an injury. So I'm sitting was like Craig now, and Craig's like, "I'm not having this." Whatever, and Craig like storms off the bus. And so we're like, "What the hell?" So I'm thinking, what's he doing now? Anyway, so the interview finishes with soon S and then it goes back into the studio. <laughs> so the guest might be an ex-arsenal player and that. And then all of a sudden you see Richard Keys on his earpiece go, sorry, we've got to cut you. We now got Craig Bellamy live in the tunnel. So Jeff Street's got Craig and Craig's like, I didn't find no injury. What is he talking about? So that's when the shit was oh, starting to hit the fan. So then we go Jeff back Sheree's to... Jeff Shreves is down there like, you know, I can't know. believe this So we then go know. back to Newcastle and... Um, There's a lot of you said for shutting up. And left. then I said to... And then the next day, Craig's got the sky cameras going to his um, house. <laughs> when does this is end? And I'm like, Craig, you are not going to win this battle. And... Um,
0: <laughs>
2: like... But I think Craig had in... Listen, I can't talk for him, but just from my opinion, I think Craig was loved by the Geordies then absolutely because what a player he was for him mm-hmm. and soonest wasn't loved so I think that Bellis he thought he love. had the fans on and that was the end and that's again that's My, my issue
1: with Craig Bowman is mainly just because um, <laughs> he said on an interview on when he was a pundit and I quote Newcastle, th- Newcastle fans think that they're up there with the Liverpools and Manchester Uniteds." and I remember watching that thinking you fucking prick mm-hmm. like was literally that really pissed me off, that. Do you think... You got- like, I'm, uh, European Cup winners, yeah. Here. We've been relegated twice in 10 years, mate. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Fucking little leprechaun. Anyway, I'll let him off. <laughs> He's probably oh, all right, to be fair, but yeah, yeah. He
0: seems like a good guy.
1: He seems like a bell end to be yeah. honest, but we'll let him off. Um, <laughs> so, moving forward... Yeah. Th- that was the era of the, the Lee Boyer fight, which I may... Honestly, I've got a pretty decent social media following thousands of tweets asking what the hell happened there. I was there that day. Yeah. Um, right when Stevie Taylor acted like he got shot. Ah, classic. <laughs> at, at that point, that, that was enough for me. And I said, fuck this, I'm going home, right? So I literally get up and I'm like, i fucking gone. I've had enough, right? I said yeah. to the lads, I'm fucking what off. What minute is this? And it's like, end of the game. Right. We're down like, what was it, 3-1? 3-0, three, 3 Something nil. like that. I'm walking down the stairs. And do you know how, uh, when you walk downstairs, you've got the bars and you've got the monitors, and I'm just about to turn and go down the next set of stairs, and I look on the telly, and there's the boy Adair, punch Punching you that, I thought, fuck me, I'm definitely gone. I'm def- what
2: is going on at this club? What happened? Yeah, so, so after the right, when I said this suit, so after the right wing thing, uh, Situation I started to win the fans out, and I was playing brilliant football. We just got into the semi final of the FA Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the next leg, we had the quarter final against uh, Sporting Lisbon coming up, and I was on fire. Even in the game, we're losing 3 0. But I think personally, fucking hell, I'm on fire, and I'm playing right wing. I, Stevie Taylor will
1: do that with him. So basically,
2: I'm right wing, boves come square for me to give him because he wants me to pass from the ball and he just whips it into the striker but I take a different option I think I I go out the other side to the other centre half and he's getting frustrated he, again for Bo's qualities on the pitch he gives 110% works his heart on his sleeve he's a good he, player as well, well I but 100% I and he's like pin because that was my nickname pin pin fucking pass with the ball and I'm like so I get what you're saying but Bo I haven't given the ball away if I gave the ball away fucking shout at me anyway yeah so you got to remember we were 2 or 3 nil down at the time, so tensions are flaring. And then about five minutes later, I go to receive the ball again, get it. He's come to show again. Again, I've passed the ball, not give the ball away. He's like, fucking hell, you fucking never passed me the ball. Fucking da 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 pin. Fucking, I'm getting sick. So I'm like, fuck off. And he's like, what? And I went, so now we're, yeah, I'm frustrated. And again, what I said was below the belt. But things like that, I always said. But you don't. So I've turned around and said, "The reason why I don't pass you the ball is because you're fucking shit." Right.
0: The old Craig Bellamy. One. And as
2: soon as I said that, the eyes just like it was like something just switched, and then was he a, was he a bad temper bastard? Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, yeah, he had a short fuse, and um, he's come walking beside me. He's come walking down to me. I'm facing him now, and he's Ed's gone, and he's like. Come in. So first thing I have done is grabbed and turned the neck to refrain him. And never in a million years did I think what was going to happen next. And then he's throwing punch. I think he threw four punch, and the whole episode lasted five seconds. But it seemed to go in slow motion yeah. because I had so many thoughts about the incident. So when he's raining punches, I'm thinking. I cannot believe he's throwing punches in front of fifty-two thousand people. What the fuck are you doing, Bo? This is what's going through me. Because I don't know if it was adrenaline, but I just like I didn't even feel the punches. Or he must need to get on the weights or something. So um, when the
1: adrenaline's going, you don't feel a thing. So
2: as this is happening, he's raining, and I'm thinking, surely not. Like what the fuck? And then after three or four, I think fuck this, and then I throw a haymaker and miss, and we get separated. So, I'm pretty calm at the time. I'm not angry or anything like that. And I didn't think you could get sent off for fighting your teammates because it's unprecedented. I've never really ever seen it. I see, obviously, everyone talks about the Batty and Lasso incident, but no one got sent off. So, when the referee comes up to me and shows me a red card, I'm thinking, what the fuck? So, um, I get sent off and I hear the groans and then he gets sent off and then I go down the stairs and I'm waiting in the tunnel. So I'm waiting in the tunnel for him. So I'm thinking, so he comes, sent off next. So I said, oh, you think you're fucking hard now? You wanna fight? Let's fight now. So we're like ready to go at it in the tunnel and have a proper scrap. And I'm thinking, well, you just give me four punches, I didn't feel it. Like mm. I'll take you, but no one buried had probably bit my nose off or something. <laughs> and probably, yeah. So um, we then sprinted to each other to get to each other. We had these two um, masseuse, masseurs, who um, worked in the prisons, Lenny and uh, Paul, or Lenny and John, if I can remember. And they literally, like, they dunk us on our shoulders, you know, when your little legs are like, in yeah, the air yeah. thing, and like, we're swearing. They used tro- to fucking prison us. Trying- yeah, so then they put me on one side, they put Bo in the other side, we're in the change room, and they, like, put sit in the middle. So, it's all crap, like, where we're trying to get each other, like, we're never going to get each other. And then, S- Stephen Taylor comes out of the, Change room uh, the showers after being You're sent right, off boys. and he's like as oh, the game over and we're like Lenny and John are like telling him we've been sent off so he's buzzing because it softens the play for him oh took <laughs> the fucking heat off him so we're still angry yeah we're, a stinker. Yeah. Yeah. we're still calling each other pricks all sorts and um, you hear the final whistle go and all you it's funny because when you hear the studs in the tunnel you can hear them coming but it was just like one set of studs sprinting up the tunnel. So sort of thinking, who the hell's that? And it was Boom Song, and Boom Song's like, "You want to fight? You want to fight? Fight now!" Like, from the gun, and I'm thinking, "Yeah, let's, I'm thinking, mate. Yeah, I'll fight him now. Yeah, like, yeah. I want some revenge." Um, and then all the lads come in, and that's when Al comes in, and I've never seen Al for all Al's that's the most angriest I've ever seen, and he was like, "You." Fucking selfish pricks, you fuck, like going on, honestly mad. But he obviously knew because this was his last season. I think he, he agreed for a season afterwards, but we're in, in the his cup semi final. Is- we're in the cup semi final and he knew we'd be suspended. So he's fucking raging. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying it's because of a selfish thing because he wanted to win the effort, yeah, but. Yeah the whole- he, like, In his
1: mind, this is his last big t- chance.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And whatever you say about me and Boya, we would have made Help. the team stronger. Mm-hmm. So then I didn't realize at the time. So from anger, I've then gone to feeling, oh fuck, yeah. I've let the team down again. And then obviously as comes in and <laughs> Stop, I can not quite, he says, I'm now going outside to the media to watch the incident. If I think I know what I've seen, then I will fight the pair of you. I <laughs> think,
0: oh, fucking hell. Shit, fuck me. Here we go. So, um. Boom song sitting at the psycho. Yes! So all,
2: all I'm thinking is I've think gone Dana from White. anger to just like, here we go again. I've let, like, I've won the Geordies back and now I'm going to be back to square one. I cannot believe what is happening to me. Like, because everyone talks about that incident, and I still, and I think it was proven with the club not punishing me, and they tried to appeal the red card. I was wrong for calling him a. a he's fucking shit. I get that, but
0: Maybe.
2: you never expect a fight to break out over yeah. something like that. Maybe on the training pitch, it happens all the time, but. And all I did was hold him from beating the crap a bit after three, I, I swung a punch, so. So. I'm just all I'm thinking about is I'm not thinking about the FA Cup semi final. I'm just thinking about the fans. I am fucked with the fans again. Um, and then Sunnis has obviously watched it come back in, and then he just rips into Bow. He says, "Fucking, um, I'm exempt and da 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 da. What the fuck are you doing da da da?" And then Freddie comes down, and I'll never forget. This is a chairman of a football club. Mm-hmm. And I I love Freddie. I had my bumps in that with Freddie, but. And he comes down and he, he says to me, you should have headbutted him. He're like, this is your chairman. I'm thinking, what he said, what he did to you, how you so, showed so much refrain, um, you should have headbutted him. Fucking, and they just start piling on Bo. So then I've gone from feeling sorry for myself to feeling sorry for Bo. It's weird how all these emotions were just racing Because you triggered him in a way. And, and now he's getting all the shit, like, yeah. They were saying he had to take us six weeks wages, you'll be sacked. And so I'm feeling sorry for him now. And then we get, um, we have to do the press conference when we had to apologize the written statements. And you, I think if, if people Google that or, or YouTube, I'm nearly in tears in that. Cause mm-hmm. I just think I'm, f- I just cannot believe I've gone back to square one. And then um, the next Monday at the training ground, we had to do that. F- fake handshake shit which just made it even worse and um, but when I was going home from that game I was going back to Ipswich. my mum was up and we were driving back to Ipswich and like a dickhead I put on the Radio 5 line phone line and all the Geordies are saying they should never play for the club again
1: I might have been one of those yeah
2: (laughs) and I'm just thinking this can only happen to me and then to be fair Bo rings me up and he apologises and and just says look it is my fault and I lost the thing and <coughs> we we made up straight away. Mm-hmm. But what made it even worse is that when a fan complains about some physical, the police get involved and the police were, the police were practically begging for me to press charges on him. And it's right, yeah. like, I'm never going to do that. Like, leave the guy alone. He's, yeah. And that was basically- Do you know, it. for
1: me personally, I was, I was probably one of the people who was more pissed off at Stevie Taylor that day because- <laughs> he was having a shock at well, at least he used to, in a weird way, showed you give a shit? Mm. Like, and I know, yeah. like me and him, when we're working on stuff, projects and that, sometimes we'll be fucking like arguing like hell, do you know what I mean? And that is part of caring about what's happening.
2: I, in a I, weird way. I like glad well, you said that about Stephen Taylor, because obviously everyone class Stephen Taylor is one of their own and the Geordie and that. He's and fucking I, terrible. I, I, and I never bought into that. I never bought into that he's well, one of their he own he thought he was
1: Geordie. our John Terry I never did yeah. I thought he was absolute dog shit mate <laughs> and it, it didn't surprise me when he went to America and got found out on day one yeah. they, even he, he wasn't even good enough for the fucking Buccaneers or wherever the hell he ended up
2: that he listen, I, I, he came to Ipswich so listen I like the guy mm-hmm. but probably a nice one I, I always no but I always oh, buy right. into this he, I think he was like he he played on I'm a Geordie look at me and to Get the fans' respect, and to be fair, we always just say, yeah, You're fucking from Greenwich, you're <laughs> a fucking geordie, like you talk shit. Like- now he puffed his
1: chest out, and the body yeah. language was all right. Yeah, it's a bit like when you first start playing football as a kid and you want to be seen as a leader, but the actual football knowledge was totally not me, there yeah. at
2: all.
0: Did you always find football quite easy then? Would you do you always read the game very well? And because to play centre midfield is probably one of the hardest positions, oh, oh no, I- hard positions. But-
2: in a way, my versatility went against me. I was left out in the Euro 2000 squad when Kevin King said, I don't know what your best position is, but I think... <laughs> I'll tell you, Ken- <laughs> But I played in every single position except for centre half and goalkeeper. I played right back, left back, yeah. right wing back, left wing back, right wing, left wing, midfield three, midfield two, up, strut, up top. So I think playing all of them positions and seeing it from different angles, I think it gave me a, a great knowledge of the game. And like I said, um, if I had my mindset, what I had today, when I was playing on the left or the right or any position, I would have I would have thrived. But again, like I said, players, it's never their fault. It's never our fault. And we always look for excuses. And playing out of position, I classed as a negative and used that as an excuse for having a bad game when Total bollocks.
0: At the end of the day, was it something that always came quite naturally to you? Did you always find it that football was just so easy? You knew where to put the ball, or were you always quite a conscious player, someone who needed coaching?
2: I find it weird that, and again, when I was coming through the Ipswich Academy and the Ipswich, when I was in Ipswich School, when I'm coming through, we were coached. We were coached on different aspects of the game. When you then go into the first team, which I think is really refreshing with Pep. Which you, I never really see. So when you go into the first team, everything's based for the first, for the team mm-hmm. and getting a result. So as an individual, you stop getting individual coaching because everything's geared for the match day. Um,
1: you see him take players aside. Well, you? you
2: just look at the results they've had with the Otamendes, the Raheem Sterlins. These individual players are kicking on, and and it's because they. It seems that he coaches. Individuals as well. That footage a, of him with Raheem, where he showed him the turn and run. So, man. so when you say did it come natural, it <clears> did come natural because <throat> it's like when you get into the first, well, especially at Ipswich and that, I had to learn. I, I had to I'd be have my street smarts and learn on off the cuff. If you're not know I me, mean. um, even with Sabobu, like Sabobu, the greatest manager I've ever played with, but we very rarely didn't play we used to play four four two. when you talk about all these tactical four four two, man
1: I loved it keep it simple
2: never did any coaching if he did coaching he'd do a basic passing and drill and you're thinking bloody hell but that just goes to show it's you, you get walked it's, so yeah um, I was quite fortunate enough that I learned off the cuff because we did get we got coached to a point and then off you go
1: one net, one position you played very well apparently Cheryl Tweedy
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: um what was it like dating a pop star and all of that
2: well it was always under wraps for a start so it was never out of there um but like you said when you you that I call that peak Newcastle for me because Champions League all this money coming in mm-hmm. dating celebrity pop star even, th- sure? even though people didn't know but like it was more of a buzz for my friends and people mm. like that you now I'm going out of uh well, dating a Cheryl and stuff like mm. that um what's she like as a person fantastic um it was around the time when um there was the toilet attendant and they said she was Oh, racial, she had a face. Or... There was a racial attack on a, uh, a toilet attendant, and it was complete and nonsense. She to be was... fair, if
1: she'd if she'd revealed that she was dating you, that could have sort of yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got news for you. But yeah, she was um, she was a great girl, mm-hmm. and like I said, I think a touch on it um, when so she was married, and like we we dated for a bit, and then broke up and then when the Grove in the House story broke when I was accused of being a rapist even though I weren't there. So she found my address and sent me a thinking of you card. Right. Um just little touch like that and then when my sister went to prison, this is like five, six years later, uh-huh. how she got my mum's address. She got my mum's address and sent my mum flowers just saying thinking of you and just little things like that you just think That's when you know someone Someone's like so When you see her having the success she is and finally look like she found happiness, it couldn't have happened to a nicer person.
0: Did, um, because you speak a lot about how your experience as a child shaped your career, Mm. did, do you think your experience as a child shaped some of your more intimate relationships with people, with with women, with, With, uh, how do you think, how do you think it affected you and the people you were close with?
2: I never let people in.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I'd let someone in before and they fucking ruined me so with friends, family, teammates, uh ex-girlfriends of mine, I would never give 100%. I'd always have barriers up. Um yeah, and it's destroyed a lot of friendships, relationships. Um I could go on, it was the stubbornness, the I wanted to be on my own, people, especially strangers, they must have thought I was an obnoxious prick if someone brought a stranger who I didn't know. I'd like walk out of the room, I couldn't, because I just didn't trust them. I just wouldn't allow that to happen, so. um, So you kept, did you keep your circle small? Yeah, I've got three best friends and they're still my best friends today, but there's been periods where I fell out of them for a year over, again, pettiness and then. Did you take on yes men and that at any point? uh, No, no, um, because I never let people in really. Mm. I had three groups of friends and then my teammates, became my friends. Because, again, uh, sorry to change subject, but when I mean, you talk about the Brat Pack and you talk about...
0: Who's that when you say that? Because some people won't know who they're The Brat Pack. Yeah.
2: Where does the list stop? You could have myself, you could have Craig, JJ, Titus, Carl Court, Wayne Quinn, you could throw Jonathan Woodgate when he came, Lomano, Lua, Lua. Who else? Was sorry, you, you, put, and, you can uh, even put
1: Nobby in there. Yeah, Jameer Janice Driving your Escalade stuff,
0: yeah,
2: with the spinning wheels and yeah. that, you just think, what were you doing? It's <laughs> so, also gen-
0: <laughs> what a generation of car! Like you guys were lucky to have the Escalade. That was no, like the we iconic weren't. The thing is, you try time. park that in the gate. It's you right, yeah. it's, it's a it's a left hand drive.
2: Yeah, our flashy wheels <laughs> with spinners scraping on the concrete. Yeah. You have to jump out of the feet. You have to like it was. Wild. You were looking like rappers and not yeah, footballers, exactly. Basically. But going up back to that, yeah. So and I've noticed this at other football clubs when I left and even at Ipswich. You don't have friends at football clubs, you have colleagues. Right. You go and play football, you might have a social night or something, but that's it, you went club. We are genuine, we were genuine friends. And I think, well we are, I'm still friends with all these people today. So that general bond and trust that we had, when we went onto the football pitch, I think that shows. Mm Again, because when you look at that Newcastle team, you've got Shearer who wasn't at his prime. So when you look at our team 1-11, to 11, did we have any world-class players in our team? Obviously, Alan Shearer was world-class, but he wasn't at the time. And the success we had is incredible. And I think for the negativity of the thing we get, I think a big part of that is that we generally had a bond and care and love for each other. And I think that showed on the football pitch.
0: Do you think it was uh, did you all had a very good understanding out on the pitch as well? Because that showed as well. Who was the most? who's the easiest player to play with? Who the, easiest, the guy that you the best always knew My exactly. favourite Newcastle
2: player. The, my favourite player Surely to ever play. Okay. No, oh. Nalberto oh. Solano. Yeah, the man. Was me and him had this understanding. What was just. I
1: remember, and I always
2: did. put him in my all-time elevens mm-hmm. and everything. He was, and. Listen, if he had my pace and if Nobby had pace like general ridiculous he would be when you're talking world class he would be on a different yeah. planet because I have never seen a and brain and a right foot like that and I've been with David Beckham who had a wand but Nobby Solano was just he was my favourite player by miles and we had a again when I first come as a young lad in Newcastle he always used to invite me round for dinner and it was such so, and like when you talk about because I talk about Newcastle fans when I thought I kept the team up that last season they're singing a song for everyone and they like worshipped Sibieski and I'm thinking fucking I say in a book like <laughs> fucking Sibieski like are you to just kept you out like and I get it but one player who's idolised by Newcastle and rightly so is Nobby because that guy was in my favourite player to play with ever not saying he was the best but my favourite was just awesome
1: my favourite my favourite moment as a Newcastle fan I talked to you about this yesterday weirdly enough Um, when we come back and beat Leeds 4-3 and then I think almost the game after we beat
2: Arsenal before uh, and then Leeds the yeah,
1: and, and when we beat Arsenal we went top of the league at Christmas and I remember being a kid thinking what a fucking team I support we're top of the league at Christmas mm. we've just uh, rinsed Arsenal at Highbury um, and the pace the creativity a good Arsenal team as well oh, like great great team on yeah,
2: yeah eight great Arsenal team I fucking think I was, smashed them we I think Titus gave them a goal early was it Titus when he does the tries to clear it and it comes off his foot <laughs> yeah. and then we Bray um, Parler gets sent off
1: yeah Shearer's going don't, don't,
2: don't yeah, send him off but he's clever he said the red card had already come out <laughs> then he was doing the giving at the at good Samaritan <sighs> then Andy O'Brien scores a header Robert goes down for a penalty Shearer scores the penalty yeah. Craig Bellamy gets sent off and then Robert makes it 3-1 that was that was my but the Leeds game memory, was really. one of the best games I've played for the club I, did, I only it must have been my Arsenal was my first proper game back um, from a long term injury and then to go to Ellen Road and we were on fire that day I think i hand him three of the goals and i will be scoring the last minute yeah, but I was fucking we sick mate. honestly but yeah like you said we had so much legs around Alan because he was the best finisher yeah. Yeah. and then to have Craig myself Robert all these legs around him just
0: we just attacked 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 you were also part of like you say you knew Beckham you knew this generation of guys who were mm-hmm. arguably like megastars mm-hmm. and you were part of that pack if you make well, park one,
1: well, one thing that's been mentioned about that pack which is a little bit as the gambling and all that was going on what was how bad did it get would you say well I
2: think the 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 excess at year, the Euro 2004 like I said when players I, I was the Wayne Rooney tournament as I remember it as a player what a, if he didn't get injured Jesus so yeah, the Euro 2004. There was when in the, we're talking about how bad the gambler was at one stage. Mm-hmm. Was that I was about forty odd grand down, and we were playing free card brag. We've all been there. We were playing, playing free card brag, and there was four or five of us playing. And uh, I've looked, I've like was having a peek at my cards. I see two, three, four, all black, but I haven't seen the suits. So it's got to the stage that. Couple of players out. There's three of us left in, and we're going two grand open at a time. Two grand open. And we didn't have cash at the time, so we owe you. So it's going two grand, two grand, two grand, two grand, two grand, two grand, two grand. Two grand. And the, and the thing with free free card brag, you cannot see unless there's two players. So mm-hmm. this is going on and going on, and I think it go like four grand open. So it's going around and around, loads of times. So I'm now I'm panicking. So I look at my thing. I've got two, three, four, all of the same suits. So I think bother them. So anyway, someone goes out and. Um, and someone sees me and I in the hand. I have a two, three, four suit. They have like an ace, two, three, but off different suits. So in that one hand, I went from 40, 40 grand down to like 55 grand up. So it was a hundred grand in one hand. And you just...
1: And you're you're best houses
2: at that point. And you're thinking, listen, we're all on massive wages, but if that's just one hand, if just imagine if you have a bad week, you could be half a million pounds down and you're preparing to play France in a Euro 2000, I don't care how much money you've got, how wealthy you are, if you've lost half a million pounds to a teammate, eh, three days, four days before a mass, how do you go into Fucking that pitch level. playing to to your maximum, if you know what I mean? So
0: Well, what they do is they come to you and they go, if you score a goal today... I'll let you off your desk. Yeah, that's, you yeah
2: that's a good way, totally but I don't. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. So when you, I'm not saying that was one of the reasons why um, we didn't do well in in the tournaments. But if you put that kind of culture, then the 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 mindset of we're shit in bags and that kind of thing, and the unprofessionalism, I and mean, you put that all together, is that a reason why? Because for all that, when you talk about that golden generation with the 2002, 2004, 2006 tournament, the 2002 World Cup, we lost to a team that, we lost to Brazil and Brazil had Rivaldo, mm-hmm. Ronaldinho and Ronaldo as their front three. Mm-hmm. They had Cafu and Roberto Carlos, who were probably the, the best fullbacks the world has ever seen. They had Lucio, who was a beast of a center half. They had one of the best holding midfielders in Gilberto. Mm-hmm and we lose to them and we're classed as failures. Right. Yeah. And you're thinking, if we beat them, I think we go on to win that tournament. But you're talking about, yes, we had, we had a world-class team and world-class players, but we were missing Steven Gerrard and Gary Neville in that tournament. And we've lost to probably one of the best teams ever. And we're ball. classed as failures. And then you go to two years later, we are flying in that tournament. Rooney obviously gets injured, but then we go out in penalties. And as you see, the Euro 96 team at Sheeran mm-hmm. are classed as a success, but they had to beat Spain on penalties and Spain scores a goal that was a legit goal. Different kind of Spain. If you like. know what I mean. And so it just goes to fine margins that, because we lost on penalties, we, you know, and that's yeah. always a lottery. So I can understand everyone's because we, I reckon that's probably one of the only times when you look, I look at the Euro 2004 team and it was, uh, Gary Neville right back Sol, John Terry centre-arves Rio was obviously suspended from the drug test Ashley Cole left back Beckham Scholes Gerrard and Lampard as the midfield four, and Michael Owen and Raymond and you look and you think that is genuine 10 world-class players mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. so I, I get where everyone says they didn't achieve what they did but losing on penalties it's such a fine line. Even the great Spain team, they had to beat Portugal on their way to win the tournament on penalties. Our Euro 96 team had to beat Spain to get to the... Yeah. Sem- so, yes, we underachieved, but I think the criticism when they say they didn't perform is maybe a bit harsh. I'm less
0: bothered about the criticism because I can sort of...
2: <clears throat> yeah. It's
0: fine.
2: Uh, um, Sorry. Well, I was just
0: going to say, did you when, you... when you talk about the betting, you talk about the... These guys are mega stars, and arguably, you know, you're not, you're not David Beckham. You no. know what I mean when I say that. Do you feel a certain pressure to sort of keep up with these guys in a way and prove your worth in that side? Because that must have been difficult to go into a group of guys who go like David Beckham is sitting next to you, and you're going in as someone who's not that you're not David you know you're not what do no. you mean by that you mean yeah. not
1: in a in a financial sense in a celebrity sense I just mean, it, I just mean it, yeah well in all ways it's yeah. you know
0: David Beckham is well, and some of those players are considered to be sort of they were demigods in a way at that time like did you did you feel like you had to keep up was there that mentality no
2: I think I think when you listen when you look at the John Terry's uh, Frank's Rio's They've all had their scrapes. They've all done their cock-ups in the start, but they fulfilled their potential. Yeah. They went on to be world-class players. Like you said, I'm the same age as Frank and people like that. I made my England debut. I was a miles ahead of them at the time. Yeah. I was coming through if you know what I mean. So when you went to the England squad and you see the success they did, they should have made me realise to wise up. Mm-hmm. Hell. They've done it. Like, why aren't you fulfilling your potential. And like I said, it was only when, maybe when Sooners come in, and then um, I got the move to West Ham, when I had that mindset, um, they were like an inspiration to me that, Mm. yes, they've cocked up, but look at them now, they're Mm. they're fulfilling their potential, they're amazing players. And um, it's just a shame that I never got the chance because I could never stay fit after that because I, I firmly believe in my prime that I was I was well on my way to, to doing that I mean
1: I've been critical of you mate, but mm. you were a fucking class player there's no two mm. ways about okay. it but um, that brings us on to the injuries um, you had a, a lot unfortunately and <laughs> I just want to touch on that before I let you can of course, yeah. um, what is it like to be an injury prone player because we see players like uh, Daniel Sturridge and they almost get well they get a lot of shit for it as if do you it's know, their fault. do you
2: know the I think it was really an eye opener to my my family my mum my wife is that they get um, obviously they they know about the child abuse and that's very sad but reading about the embarrassment and the torture injuries caused me and because I was I never wanted to show vulnerability and I never spoke about it actually reading that for them they I think it brought tears to their eyes because do you know how many games I played with ripped ha- with ripped hamstrings because I couldn't go off to see my board going up so I would play with ripped hamstrings and this is numerous over a handful of times with a rip fire or a rip hamstring where I couldn't face the shame of my board going up so I would go all the way to half time. So I didn't have to have that embarrassment. And that happened so many times in that people people when they think you're injured and they think, oh, I don't mind, he's getting paid, he's in the treatment. It's complete and utter nonsense. Like you said, the embarrassment it causes you, um, the pain it causes you, because all you want to do is play football. And um, embarrassment is the, the word that sums it up. It was-
1: Even at West Ham, um, gold, was it? He dug you yeah. out over it. What did he say? I can't really remember.
2: He basically said, we have a player who's done fuck all for the club who's on this big dough and it's yeah. about time they retired. Um, But also people don't realise, and it's a great story at Newcastle, I touch on in the book, and it it, it cost me a year of my career, but it lost Graham Sooners' job. It lost so... Um, when I'd done my hamstring i come off against Sport and Lisbon and then um, we end up losing um, I get a new contract that season because Soonest wants to build the team around me um, and I miss the whole of next season and Soonest obviously gets sacked so um, I do pre-season and we're in that crappy cup that in, in- total in- to- crappy cup so you, we're just about to play a team and I feel my hamstring again when I did against Sport and Lisbon so I go for a scan and the radiologist reads the scan and says I've got a grade one strain straining my hamstring a few weeks of rehab anyway this goes on through the whole season and um, it goes on through the whole season I go to see Muller Wolfhart I go see specialists all up and down the country one specialist saying it's my back one specialist saying it's my hip anyway we cannot get down to the bottom of the thing I miss basically like I said the whole season I come back we play a game against West Brom and that was the first time Sooners got to play what he would class as he's starting 11 I come on in the second half and we had a midfield of um, Nobby Scott Parker M. Ray, me on the left Shearer and Michael Earn up front wow. which sounds on paper fucking very somewhere. decent we win the game 3-0 Michael Earn scores two great goals Shearer scores a great goal I go down the line take on someone pull the ball back Michael Earn score I feel my hamstring again again embarrassed, shock, play the rest of the game. I go into the change room, convincing myself that it's just tight, it's tight. I know it's gone, but you know, you're getting the massage to massage it. I'm like, does it feel tight? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, it's convincing me. So we have Sunday off, we go in Monday. And because like I said, I'm coming back from hamstring, I'm training half-heartedly and soon as it's like, you need to train, you need to get match toughness. Anyway, I break down crying. I was just saying, look, my hamstring's gone and I go into the um I go into the change room. And at the time I was taking um, a medication for this like um, condition I had and the medication slows down your healing process. So they were trying to say that might be a factor for my injuries, which it wasn't. But at the time the club then issues you a statement saying Kiran won't be out in the unforeseeable future because of medical reasons which was the worst thing you can do at Newcastle yeah. because then the rumour was that I had cancer I had AIDS I had fucking people ringing me up are you dying and all this Jimmy and Janice are sitting there thinking thank fuck I'm <laughs> <lot of> Newcastle <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so you're thinking what the hell so um it gets to the stage now where um we play as soon as he's under pressure and I'm doing more rehab more rehab going to see all these specials all up and down the world all for a hamstring and all it keeps saying is a grade one hamstring. So, as soon as we play a Man City away, and I'm in the squad, and I'm having a fitness day on the day of the game, and I can feel my hamstring. But again, bit with the Bobby situation, where I wanted to play against Aston Villa, I say, even though Miami's I wanna play, I will try my hardest to get you this win. And he's like, thanks for the gesture, but no. He loses, he gets sacked. So you're thinking, I haven't played all season, Sooners Was going to build a team around me Haven't helped So I'm a bit low So Glenn Rode comes in And at this stage I'm thinking I'm retiring So Glenn Rode is trying to persuade me To um, To um, Stay I then play against Southampton in the cup And I score the winner I pull my hamstring again That same stabbing feeling After five minutes I play the whole game Fucking And up. score Because I'm so embarrassed Of coming off
0: is that, is that a constant pain or so? What constant kind of, pain, what every, pain stride,
2: every stride I had is like, you get the stabbing feeling like, right. but it just mentally, I just had to get through it. So- um, Which is making it worse ironically, surely. Well, I'll get to what, I, when we find out. So, so again, I don't tell no one, score the winner. We play Chou and a few days later, and then I'm like, I can't go through this pain no more. I said to Glen Roder, that's it. I'm, I'm done
0: are the physios not saying anything to you in between they're, they're so, baffled
2: because you've right. got to remember the physio so what I'm getting to is the radiologist who's reading my scans are the ones who and I'll get to so the physios are like they're just devastated for me they're right. just like that's why everyone was going about the medication is it slowing down your healing da 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 so Glenn Rhodes like I'm saying I'm done and he's like Kieran I know you've been through please can you go and see John Green I'm like who the fuck's John Green He's like, he's an old West Ham had. he's got his own clinic. So I said, all right. So I went down to um, this John Green and his clinic was an absolute shithole. Right. Like equipment from the 1800s that looked like. So I'm already sulking. So um, he strips me down to my boxes, and he's just assessing me. And what was a good thing straight away, he's, he assessed that my right glute was, wasn't firing. So I said, what does that mean? He says, try and tense your bum cheek and I couldn't tense it on my right side. So he said, that's a good sign because when you're sprinting that, your glutes meant to kick in to take some of the strain off your hamstring. Um, so all your ha- all the, the hamstrings doing all your work. So I thought, oh, that's, that's a sign. At least we're getting somewhere. So he said, have you got your scans? So I've got a year of ex- uh, scans from my hamstring. So I said, yeah. So he said, let's go down to Jerry Healy. He's one of these, works, works in one of these London hospitals. <laughs> I can't believe what I'm gonna say next. So we go to London, we get these scans on, he puts all these scans on the on the thing and he turns on the light and he goes, oh, you've got paratendinitis, literally. So them from the scan, when I first did it in pre-season to all the scans, every single one he goes, oh, it's paratendinitis. Right. So I said, what does that mean? He says, um, basically you've got a paratendinitis is the, the tendon in your hamstring when you run, because your glute's not kicking in, because you run, you're putting strain on the tendon. It's just, it's inflamed. So-
1: The muscles not taking any of the power. So, yeah, yeah,
2: so it's just inflamed. So you just flare up your hamstring and that's where you get the stabbing pain. So I was like, oh, okay. I said, so when they're saying you've got grade one rips, you like, no, you haven't. Mm-hmm. They've read the scans wrong. So I said, oh, okay. So when you hear para you think I need an operation or it's gonna be, and I said, so what's the cure then? He says, Well, I'm gonna now take you and give you a steroid injection, let the steroid injection settle your tendon down and then you're good to go. So I was like, so I had to process this. So I said, If I'd have come to you at the start of the season when with that first scan, you would have said, You've got parentendinitis. You would have given me the 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 um, injection. injection. I would have then gone with John Green and just built up my glute for a, a few weeks. A few and then I would have been fit for the whole season. So I lost a year of trusting medical people to do the Was that Newcastle's doctor? New, no, yeah, it was the, the radiologist who was reading them. Her fuck knows who he is. You go to a hospital for a scan, radio, it's got nothing to do with Newcastle. It's the hospitals. So we lost a year. as lost his job. I'm getting labelled lind- yeah. injury prone. Yes, did I have injuries a lot? Yes, Pretty. but that one thing could have been prevented. And you just yeah. think,
0: could you have played a whole year? Could I could. Well, the
2: next off? season when I came back, the season when I said I kept him up, I played every game. I played like about forty games when I came back into the season. And you think, and you're the one. We're the one who gets painted in this brush of always injured. That and just something that simple could have, unreal. I'm did
0: you? So you must have felt a certain level of resentment to those people who were reporting this person's injury. Prone. They can't even remember his name, so probably yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, the people who were reporting the journalists oh, saying yeah. this guy's injury prone. How did yeah, you? But feel they just it,
2: see the effect; they don't see the cause. Mm. Is, you must feel angry like
0: though, because you. Uh, what I'm saying is, you. They, they can see that effect, but they're wrongly attributing that effect to you rather than other people have the responsibility.
2: I do. Yeah, I did because, again, I've touched on it. I think. When I live my life professional, when I live my life right, I can never stay fit. I think it goes some of that goes to the lifestyle that I was living, with regards to out four times a week and living wrong, and my diet was crap. But there are times, especially like you said, where as football players, you put your trust into these medical people. And listen, medical people are only humans, but they get it wrong, mm. and you do everything you're told with regards to rehab. And when you keep breaking down, you're the one who gets labeled as thing when really you've just got the wrong advice. And that was proven that I missed the whole year on my crit and even with my broken leg at West Ham, which I go into great details. Yes, I had a horrific injury, a double leg, a double, but it it should take, it's a pretty straightforward operation. I had four operations on my one leg. Fuck me. Four operations where and I go into it in massive you detail. You know, when
1: Gold dug you out, what, what what did you think about him at that point though? Like, cause you never really said that it was before. Were you angry or what did did you just think, uh, oh, let it go? Or?
2: I was, I, I did laugh to myself because the amount of times I said to his physios, his West Ham physios, is it time for me to check it in? And they were like, no, no, no. And I was like, well, if you really knew that I was thinking about it numerous times, then I don't know why you have to come out. But yeah. he just bought a club and, I was, I, I was asked. I don't about think the it. West
1: Ham fans like them too much now. Anyway. I was just,
2: I was just like, "You're the owner of the club; you can say what you want."
0: Uh, there's a great trick actually with those sorts of people. You go, you go to the team, you go to a bar with them, you get them all to shit in a bag, and then you just yeah, fuck the door it. It I would, I would, it's a I would take one <laughs> and one of them yeah. finger laxatives or something. Yeah, yeah. And definitely um, definitely um, shit in a bag with him. So when you see someone like Daniel Sturridge now, or you see any of those players who are going through chronic injury, a time like that, what's how do you relate to them because i felt very sorry for daniel Sturridge, i do i'm glad fan, you i'm really glad
2: you do feel sorry for him because again people class it like he's not really but i hear a lot he's not bothered he there was the time very when people said it, well. what was the thing they said he hasn't got the heart cuz did when Klopp first came in he said okay. no one's 100% every game and he's got to play through these aches and pains and
0: yeah that was an interesting thing cuz and i'm like yeah
2: it's true uh, no one feels 100% I get that but I'm I know what he's going through and it is complete embarrassment and how he came off after three minutes the other night I wouldn't have been able to I would have stayed on and uh, I think it might get to the stage where <laughs> because it's horrible and and it's not just him there's so many players mm-hmm. Dar- Darren Anderton was before me and all these oh, players God, oh, I, of course used and, to call him on, didn't they? that was
0: yeah. the thing is uh, but you must feel that element of responsibility, which then makes it even harder to recover because you've got stress. Do you, do you think you carry quite a lot of stress and you carry stress in your body at some point, that sort of thing? Do you no. still feel it like now? Yeah.
2: No, like I play with the vets with my mate, we play in a vets league and I, I'm i still fast and oh, I've never had any problems since. And uh, Which is, again, quite ironic, but I, I do feel with my injuries because of the, the type of game, like I said, I was always in the top three of running and I broken into the first team I'd had had about 100 games by the time I was 18 19 I just think it's no coincidence the the likes of myself Michael, Michael Owen Jonathan Woodgate who was rapid as well these high intensity players who have played so much football at a young age it it it, it catches up Woodgate to them. was underrated after he
1: this. Was incredible. when we look back it's at the great centre backs for England People always mention like Ferdinand, uh, Campbell, and John Terry. I always thought Woodgate was the best of the of the four of them actually. But uh, I, his injuries. I,
2: I I put Rio first and then Woody second. Yeah. and and um, as a pair. They no, just pair just pair. in order. If you mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but if, as a four, if Woody was didn't get injured, like a bit like you could say with me, but, mm-hmm. but he would be. a Real Madrid just don't buy anyone. No, and. Um, did you ever look that season at he had with us was at good. Newcastle, he was just did unreal.
0: you ever look at, um, in training, you must have been alongside Obafemi Martins. Did you ever look at him and go, what the fuck? You, like, how are you doing this, mate? You're like 50 and you're still playing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we did used to remember about the age. Um, wow, I thought he put the and burners on me once and left me like, wow. wow really? And I was... I Powerful. could I could go like where some players are rapid over ten fifteen yards. I can maintain that over a hundred to. And mm. he just he was, um, yeah, he was in a a great lad. He was, but he was a a weird one to work out. Him and Lauren Robert. Lauren Robert was I love Lauren Robert, but Lauren Robert was so temperamental. If you shouted at him, he would refuse to pass to you in a game. Right. I swear. So if you bollocked him or that, like, could you imagine Craig? He went like two games without passing to Craig. And like, Craig would have a tap in and he would shoot from a ridiculous angle and he, and Craig would like, yeah. was, have a word with fucking him and that. And Lauren was just like, down to him like. Wow. But he, His his
1: goal was the one that was used in the movie goal. Lauren oh, right. Robert is, yeah, yeah. uh, he He's, used that. I remember a Newcastle, a
2: Newcastle fan said to me that, um, I didn't score a great amount of goals, but I was a score uh, a score of great goals yeah. for Newcastle. Some of the guys scored, mm-hmm. but then for Lauren, just like God, every one of his Hollywood goals, wondered. they were just well. You, um. Yeah, it's been yeah. I,
1: yeah. I just want to ask one more thing mm-hmm. before I ask me final question. Um, what are you like as a dad? Because it seems like you've grown up a lot, and uh, you said you used to be quite hard on your son. Uh, I know but you've got I,
2: quite a few I, kids. I, I, when everyone talks about my book and um, obviously the abuse chapters in it, mm-hmm. I always say the hardest, um, the hardest chapter for me to read is the daughter chapter. Um, and I touch on about um, when I get um, a girl pregnant, and my daughter, we decide to keep her a secret for four, for, for four years. And I said, I fell out with this girl and I went a year without seeing my daughter. And I touch on about the first few years of my oldest son, Kai. Um, obviously he was in Ipswich and when I had days off, oh, it's a night out in Julie's, oh, it's a night of crashing your Ferrari and like, why wasn't I going home on every day? So- crush Ferrari on the Tame Bridge, by the way. Yeah. Classic. So I'm saying <laughs> like, for the first three years of my oldest son and like I said, I lost a year of my daughter's life. I basically say that um, I played at being a dad, threw a bit of money at it, and thought you're doing your job. But I was a shit dad. If you know what I mean, and that's tough to say and tough to hear. So, um, yeah, now I've I think I'm a fantastic dad. Before, yeah.
1: before you came today, yeah. by the way, I, I read that chapter upstairs yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> literally, like I'm about to meet you. Yeah, and I had this image in my head, and I thought. All right, he's uh, actually—he's definitely learned something from life. This guy, and and you are—I knew before I said hello to you that you're not the person I thought you were going to be Mm. just by reading that That chapter. chapter. Yeah, of
2: course, yeah. So
1: fair play for holding your arms up because it's hard to fucking do that, especially as men, you are judged. More than anything on how you are as a dad, I think. Yeah, of mm. course. Yeah, so fair play to you.
0: How do you think it's been for your family to read the book? Because I've um, I've been close down years with a few yeah, people who yeah, yeah. yeah. have been abused and spoken to their mothers and some of those mothers felt a very personal responsibility. Some of their parents felt a very personal responsibility. How do you think it's been for your family to read how your life has panned out?
2: So when I gave them my mum the book and um, she then text me and just said that's the she said i cried for her and that was the saddest thing i've ever read so i'm like i was a bit confused because yes the abuse bit is sad and the um the daughter chapter is hard hitting and i was like and she was like no the whole book mm. because because i was so Bravado, closed, didn't speak to anyone, even with the injuries, even with the grove in the house accusing the rape and how it tortured me and these are the people closest to me and they they thought I was fine. They thought I was coping, right. you know what I mean? When really I was
1: Internalising.
2: Yeah. So for your mum to read that and not know she's like and that's the same with my wife. <coughs> so um it's really hard for them, really hard to read it. And it's not mm. just like you said, it's, the book's not about just abuse. There's so yeah. many layers to the book and f- reading the whole thing and and just me being honest, brutally honest, because you don't really hear people being brutally honest. No. Basically saying I respect that a lot. Basically like, saying, yeah. like even the Iron App, I'm, I'm saying I'm a prick. And for them to, it's it's, like I said, when I was going to do a book, I said, I want to do it right. And I think just from seeing their reaction and I've had Craig, DJ Spoonie, JJ, mm. people close to me with friends who are not family reading it and they're just like, respect you, mm. 100%. I'll tell you You're one kidding. thing you can't say, mate. Mm. You haven't had a boring life like <laughs> Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, You've got to do life, you may I, as well have some shit. When shift. I was talking about it and you say every chapter is a bit like, wow, wow, wow. Oh, yeah. And people are like, ah, oh, he's just trying to sell books. So I I'm not, uh, and I think you can vouch. No, literally, I picked it up and I thought, oh,
1: just skim over and then fuck me. I'm like, chapter 15.
2: Yeah. Yeah. it
1: is one of those for it is worth uh, reading and if you want to buy it I'm going to put the link in the description below as well so anyone can just click on this video and buy it right now I think it's well worth reading recommend there's, it
0: there's a lot of guys that we have on this show who, well we've had a few people on the show where I've thought you've had a very sad life but you still don't maybe face up to some of the stuff that's happened mm. and some people try and put a gold tint on their story I, um,
1: you haven't painted yourself into the best slate or anything. You've just cut yeah, it how it is, yeah, really. Yeah. I, c- like. I
0: imagine that was an incredibly sort of relieving experience as well, just sort of being able to tell your story and almost tell the truth in a way, rather than wrap it up in something else. Yeah.
2: Um, again, when this this book was come up, come about about four and a half years ago, It was in the making. We, we we started doing it, and then I went into the jungle, and then it got put in the back shelf, and then we started up again and um, I always say with like people say about Craig's book and everyone's like oh it's an amazing book and Oliver Holt writ his book and uh, wrote my book and he was saying incredible and I was like mm, it's politically correct if you know what I mean it's a, it's a good book but it's not the
1: real Craig do you mean yeah that yeah. kind
2: of thing that because a lot of players do their books while they're still playing so they've got to be a certain way you've got implies and stuff and I think I was fortunate that I haven't got no ties yes I'm I am employed by Ipswich as a coach but as I said to the the people who employ me I said look this book is educated every 16 year old who is at our football club should take home a copy of my book and this is the dangers of what happens with mm-hmm. wealth fame um, and if like you said that uh, puts these people and what happens and if I go into because someone's been on to me about I think Joey Barton's doing a a book launch up and down the country like a, a sit down um, I think it's called The No Nonsense Store and <laughs> would I be interested to in do it I've had some management company and I said I'd rather go into have academy kids 16 year old 17 year old kids and sit and talk to them like this in a way oh. and tell them I think that would be more beneficial and it gives a great purpose of why this book's out there.
1: Well, the last question I've got for you, mate. Yeah? How would you like to be remembered?
2: Oof. Wow. didn't know, I weren't prepped for that.
1: Yeah, Alan said the same thing.
2: Yeah.
1: I'll ask it to everyone. So I think it gives them a good, um, a good idea of who you really are if you put out what you would like people to say about you.
2: I would like, to be remembered as someone that learnt from their mistakes and bettered themselves as a human being. But we've talked about a lot of underachievement, I think I mentioned this before, and mm. when you look at my ability and talent I had, um, did I underachieve in my career? I did, but again, what I endured as a kid and dealt with that all on my own, to play, one minute of football professional football I think is a, a, a success mm-hmm. so I have mixed emotions about my career but to overcome what I did and make a career is brilliant in itself but on the other hand I should have I should have been mentioned with some of the better players of this country but um, again like I said I've learnt from my mistakes and I hope just you lot having me for two hours people can see that I am generally okay I've had a
1: good time mate. cheers mate thank pleasure. you cheers pal thanks All very you. much cheers thanks for no no once again if you want to get Kieran's book links in the description below hope you've enjoyed the video if you have hit the thumbs up stay subscribed thanks for watching we'll see you later